Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 25. In this episode, a couple of my friends and I discuss eschatology, the study of what the scriptures have to say about the end of the world. So we talk about the different views. We talk about the ones that we have held to and do hold to in the present and why. Talk a little bit tangentially about geopolitics as they exist today. Um, especially talking some about Israel and the whether and how of its significance. And then we also talk about how our eschatological views impact our views on some of the other doctrines that we have. So if that sounds interesting to you, give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, gentlemen. Sir, good morning. Not morning. Ooh, afternoon. Yeah, af- yeah evening. Oh, yeah, it's good. I'm going to say afternoon. Because evening's after five, right? So that's what we're debating this, this today, right? <laughs> so the topic of today yeah, is time. When does evening start? Yeah, I, that's a good question. And this will be a good lead in to the. I mean, we are talking about times Ooh. and seasons. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had But no, no, no. For, before we get there, uh, I feel like it has to be dark. It has to be slightly darker than midday in order for me to say that it's evening, mm. you know? Mm. Like, not quite dusk, necessarily. Mm-hmm. If evening... Okay, whoa, how whoa, about this? Whoa, whoa. Evening, twilight, and dusk. What is uh, the order of those I would three? say evening first, because I, I don't know why, for some reason, I just equate evening with 5 p.m. Maybe because, like, you get off work in the evening, and then and then you get twilight where the sun's going down, and slash dusk. And then yeah, I feel like night. dusk is between when the sun has set completely and when the sky goes dark completely mm-hmm. you know right yeah so mm-hmm. are we all so, okay with those definitions uh, so twilight so dusk is a part of twilight i would say twilight is the setting of the sun the setting mm-hmm. of the sun because uh like you know what golden mm-hmm. hour is yes for photography yeah where the sun is pretty much coming at you horizontally mm-hmm. and it's very golden oh. you know and not as not as white you take the best pictures then. Huh. Yeah. And are you saying that evening falls in there? I No, no, no. I would say that evening... You know, I might actually say evening is all of the time between when the sky begins to darken and when it has completely darkened. And then... Then it's mm. night. So the early mm. evening, and then you'd have twilight, which is the actual setting of the sun, and then dusk, and then night. Hmm. Wow. That makes sense. As long as it's kind of like separate from night, I think is all, yeah. as long as yeah. you're good. Yeah. There is an in-between time. Because yeah. I, I, t- I tend to break up the days like there's like morning and then afternoon, evening, night. Yes. So I kind of play regular. How long does waters. noon last for you guys? Noon lasts for approximately one second. Okay. Oh, I'm, I was going to say an hour. hour. No, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I never say good noon. <clears throat> yeah. And the thing is, like, I have a class that starts at... Uh, 11:45, and so like if we start the class with a quiz mm-hmm. and then they finish the quiz and then we're going to get into the lesson like there will be students who as soon as it strikes noon they'll go good noon mr bergner oh. and i'm like wow <laughs> you guys are a bunch of dorks <laughs> but uh it's endearing that's very sweet though yeah, yeah. so sounds british to say that yeah good noon Especially good morrow good morrow yeah. young sir <laughs> top of the noon Happy Christmas. This is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Happy noon, Master Baggins. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. everyone.
So eschatology mm. oh. is an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, eschatology, which I believe is Latin for the rapture, the study of the rapture. The study of right? the rapture. Well, I thought it was Greek. No, it's Latin. Definitely. And definitely Latin. rapture is definitely. what it's the study of. So, of us, so are you guys are you guys pre-trib yeah. rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, split rapture, What's or split rapture? I'm velocirapture. Velocirapture. <laughs> oh, that needs to. That's be when he comes quickly. <laughs> yeah. With a great velocity. Wow. <laughs> oh this my is a t-shirt. goodness! I want a t-shirt. If this <clears throat> is, this would probably be terrible because I feel like it would be immediately interpreted as like sacrilege. But I want a t-shirt of like. Like Jesus coming in the clouds and someone looking up at him and just saying, "Clever girl." Wow. I like I like that. But can that's, it be that's a, a Jurassic Park reference. That's not a reference to Jesus well, I, being a yeah. woman. Yeah. Well, I say that too about everything. Like if someone does yeah. a move in a board game. Um, Clever girl. But can it be a raptor? You know the raptor that's like like <laughs> looking. Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Yeah. That's too seen... many layers. That would Have be you... a great niche like, view. Okay. That... We were about to come up with a whole line of t-shirts because I just thought of like a raptor with eyeshadow and it says easy breezy beautiful clever girl. The oh, <laughs> raptor shirts. Oh, <sighs> there there needs to be some niche view of like the belief that all velociraptors were raptured. Yeah, that's and gotta that's be why it. they disappeared. Yeah. Now, would this be too sacrilegious that if the Jesus looked like Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> just with like glasses on? Yeah. I don't, well, you know, we can't know that Jesus didn't look like Jeff Goldblum. <gasps> that's true. He's actually Jewish. It would be great if you like. Wait, a Jew the... in Hollywood? Oh. Oh my goodness! <laughs> this this escalated quickly. It'd be great though to like have a shirt with him, like Jesus with the gla- Jeff Goldblum glasses that says, "Uh, uh, God found a way." <laughs> Why aren't we making money? Okay, write this down. Write this down, guys. Copyright. Need a pencil and paper. Oh no, it's being recorded. So yeah. just right. listen to the first. Oh this yeah, is our and we should say on this copyright. All yeah. of us no, don't steal no, these ideas. No, this is not getting uploaded. This is too precious. This okay. information <laughs> is too precious. We'll cut this bit off. Uh, let's see. What's okay? So post trib raptor. How could that be a shirt? The post trib raptor. Oh, I don't know. It's like the world's on fire. Like, you know, post-apocalyptic, and it's a raptor that's kind of roaming the countryside. I feel like it's a raptor. raptor. I feel like it'd be a raptor that has decided to eat vegan. Post. Because he's reformed himself. He's made himself. Oh, no. I was thinking, like, he's he's eaten ribs in the past, but he's post-rib. He's vegan. That's actually actually a good one. Man. What if we just did, like, three hours of puns? (laughs) We could, though. I feel like, I feel like, for the times I've been here... We kind of do. <laughs> you remember we did like an hour or two off of just tea. tea. I remember that. That was like seven years ago. Yeah. And it was very late at night. So yes, we were, was. we had ourselves a piece of the giggles. And, uh. It's the best time to do puns. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Hmm. So, yeah, we would, we are planning on talking about eschatology, which is oh. Greek. For the study of last things. Okay, good, because I was so, worried that I was Bible... seriously wrong with the Latin thing. No. I couldn't tell no. if you were saying that kidding, and I was like, I'm no. pretty sure. Of the three of us, you definitely know the most about Eschatosis the biblical languages, Dan. Is last yeah, right? Yeah. How much, uh, How much knowledge do you have? Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, what, what's your background? What's my like base knowledge score? It's like a, like a, I think like Seven. A, like, a, like a 15 modifier, like two. <laughs> I don't you... know if those add up right, but... Was... Did you take... Oh, base intelligence score, D&D, now I yeah, get it. Okay. Like, how many semesters, let's say, of the language did you take? Of Greek? You could choose Greek. I don't know if you know Hebrew. <clears throat> For Greek... His degree is in Biblical Hebrew. For Greek, I, I think... 
five semesters or six, and then for wow. Hebrew, I I want to say twelve for Hebrew. Yeah, that's that's a lot more than twelve. Hebrew was my focus. Though. I took half a semester of Hebrew. I was like, I don't like when there's no vowels, and you've got these marks, maybe. Less vowels, less to remember. It's true, but like, how do you do it in, I don't know how you do things like that. It doesn't count if then you have to put, you have to sneak in the vowels at the bottom of each letter. Yeah. It's like that, yeah. no, it's more to and remember. And they didn't, yeah. that's more just yeah, to help us. The crazy thing for them is that <clears throat> they don't need them. And we, yeah. they and, just remember like what. Yeah. And that's how modern Hebrew is as well. It's like, you just remember, <clears throat> you look at the word and you know, you know, based context, on the context, yeah. based on the word itself. You can just assume what the you like you know by by gut what it is. The nice thing is, and I think the providential thing for God is, is that the Masoretes decided to do this to help us learn Hebrew. They didn't have to. Were the Masoretes Hebrew? Yeah, okay. they were Jewish, uh, or they were, yeah, they were Jewish they scholars were like... in from 580 to 1000 AD. Wow. So they had no reason to try to help us with this. That was their, their, you know, like it's their thing. They knew that, but they added vowel points. So this is post diaspora, 500 AD. So where were they? Where in the world? Is this like the Byzantine uh, so, Empire? Yeah, so it'd be around there. It'd be uh, all around like the um, Europe and the Middle Ages, I believe. Maybe in all around Jerusalem. Europe? Okay. I think I'm not a hundred percent sure location wise, but they trace their lineage back, um, like they're not just to their vowel points to Ezra. That's you right. know why that's, I know that is because you told me that. Like that's right. Years <laughs> ago. Yeah, so they're claiming that this is the old old interpretive tradition because one of the big arguments is should you use the accent. Because they added the accents and or so, and some like a text it, it's hard to say if they did they are the the the, the texts that they copied have accents and vowel points in them, so did they add them or was it they claim it goes all the way back, back to Ezra? Should you use the accents? Some scholars will say you don't need to use the accents, but then you use the vowel points. Why are you also using accents? But there mm. are some professors that are so consistent that they're not even going to use the vowel points because the consonants are the text, vowel points and accents are added on top of. Neat. Mm. So you can kind of play around with those things. That's but that's me getting off topic on language stuff. That's okay. There that's, is no that's a good off topic though. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, it is a beautiful language. Can I just to stay here just for one yeah, yeah. question is because I've always been interested. We say Yahweh, right? But is that really how it's pronounced? Are there vowels there that we're not hitting? Do we even know? I don't think we really know, and no one said it for a long time. Okay. Um, so, because you don't say that around, like, and I was taught whenever I, just to instill that practice, whenever I read Hebrew, I don't read the, and pronounce the divine name in case I'm ever in dialogue with someone who is um, Jewish or like a Hebrew scholar. If I'm talking with them, or if I want to read with them or converse with them, out of respect, I'm going to do that because that is something you don't do. You just go Very silent? You don't substitute like No, no, Adonai I substitute or... Adonai. Okay. So, and that's usually where the vowel pointings <clears throat> come from is... They take, or that's that's not where Yahweh comes from. That's where uh, Jehovah comes from. Yeah. So they is took the smooshing together of yeah, Yahweh took, Adonai. The, so what it is is they in the text you have the divine name written in consonants, and usually you just have that. And then what they would do to kind of give them a reminder of speak Adonai, read. So it's called Ketiv Kare. Ketiv is written. Kare means um, spoken. The Ketiv, the written, is the consonants, and you read. The, you read the divine name, you read it in your head as if, as it's, if it's, it's Yahweh. That's what you read in your head. But you speak the Kare, which is Adonai, and they put the vowel points of Adonai under that as a reminder. You're not speaking that you're, you're speaking, you're reading the divine name, but you're speaking that Adonai. Makes, that makes, I mean, it makes sense in that context. That's, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 
but back, I guess, at the topic at hand, since uh, mm -hmm. we're going to have to use maybe your knowledge here, but you talked about eschatology. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just go ahead and uh, throw out some terms. So you have uh, the two fours, I think, when it comes to eschatology. You have the, the millennial views, which would be... Uh, Ah um, uh, well, let let's actually do the other four first. Okay. So what is it? It's the uh, the historical, the ideal, the preterite, and the futurist, right? So the futurist, yes, and yeah, th yeah. that's specifically with regard to Revelation. I was lumping in literary, <clears throat> but I think that's literary. Because, it goes with the ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, and there's there's eschatological, there's end times mm -hmm. language and prophecy, there's apocalyptic writing outside of the Book of Revelation, mm -hmm. but specifically with regard to the Book of Revelation, you had the futurist view, mm -hmm. which is that the things that John wrote were future to him and future to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the historical view. I think not to interject, but I think the futurist view could also just mean future to John as well, if not always to us. No, um, well then there's the historic view, which is that the things that he wrote were future to him and have been playing themselves out in different contexts over, you know, up until and even yeah. beyond today. So that's the historical view, which is, um, I believe, what amillennials uh, would mm -hmm. ascribe to. You have the preterite view. Which is yes, the things yeah. that John wrote were future to him, like short-term future to him, and they're distant past to us. And then you have the idealist view, which is that basically, I, I like the way, the way uh, Doug Wilson says it, basically the book of Revelation is just one big sky parable. And it's like mm. a picture book that just shows you all these uh, different neat things that uh, can be applied to various um, to various historical phenomenon even from john's past and his present and future and even our future um so there's those four things those four words to keep in mind idealist futurist preterite and mm -hmm. historical and then there's the four views of the millennium mm -hmm. which have to do with um <clears throat> what you believe when you believe the millennium is with regard to christ's coming so for example post-millennial you believe that the millennial reign of Christ happens, and then after that, Christ comes back. Mm -hmm. So the millennium is Christ reigning through his church, and then Christ comes back. If you're a historic premillennial, you believe Christ comes back and then institutes the millennium. Mm -hmm. And then after the millennium, you know, Satan is set free and wages war, and then you have like the eternal state after that. Um, you have dispensational premillennialism, which is similar. I would say with a couple of differences, I, I honestly think the main difference between dispensational and historical premillennialism are uh, the view of Israel, mm -hmm. you know, and dispensationalists say like that what it means to be ethnically Jewish is still crazy significant. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is vital to God's plan mm -hmm. to do something with the ethnic people who are mm -hmm. the descendants of and I, Abraham. And I feel like this, uh, classic, at least classic dispensational, is also going to have a very uncomfortable time with seeing the book as predominantly symbolic and metaphoric. Correct. And a historic yeah. pre is not going to have a problem with seeing symbols throughout the book. Yeah, for example, a, uh, a dispensationalist premillennial youth at our church uh, came up to me, I think it was on Sunday, mm -hmm. and he, he, I forget, is it Crowder, like um, <clears throat> the, the political guy? What's his name? David Crowder? 
the band? Is Steven Crowder? I was going to say David Crowder. Okay, I was yeah. going to say, I always get them mixed up, which is, mm-hmm. they're, and they're both Bible names, too, which doesn't help. Yeah. I think it's Steven Crowder. What does he look like? It's the Change My View guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. David Crowder so is he, the band. So he said, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, like, Steven Crowder on you and say, like, all of the book of Revelation is literal. Change my view. And I was like, well, I don't think it's going to take long for me to at least yeah. get you to admit some things are are symbolic. But anyway, yeah, they, they tend to see fewer symbols. Mm-hmm. And an idealist would see pretty much the whole thing as just symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, the, the other millennial view. So I said dispensational premillennial, mm-hmm. historical premillennial, mm-hmm. postmillennial, and then there's what's called amillennial, which is that the millennium is not a literal thousand-year thing. It's just like this vague kind of nebulous term that refers to the entire time between Christ's first coming and ministry and his second coming in glory. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with Christ, that in mind... It's Christ reigning from his first coming to his second coming. Yeah, that Jesus so they, reigns now. They do see a kingdom of Jesus, Yeah, but it's not... But basically, it's that... Because it's not that they don't believe that there's any reign of Jesus, because I think there's a misnomer of Amil. It's that they believe... It's that we believe. I'll put my. I'll throw myself in the ring. It's like what view I'm going to be holding tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan is... It's that they believe it's not literally a thousand years. It goes beyond a thousand years. Mm. Yeah. Because we've been living in two thousand years of Christ reigning. Yeah. Okay. So Dan is an amillennialist, mm-hmm. and it would be safe to say that you hold a historical slash ideal view of the Book of Revelation. Yeah, so that for me is a little bit different for those specific books of how you read it. I tend to blend a little bit from each of those. I think that the book of Revelation kind of calls for you to not just dog dog down on one. Yeah. Because I think there are things where, like, for instance, I go back to, I'm going to go back to the book of uh, Joel, how mm-hmm. he uses the locust plague that actually did happen, and then that plague prefigured it was a shadow of what was what the day of the Lord to come. So that's common in the prophets. Um, Edom does the same thing where he pro- prophesies the destruction of Edom, but the destruction Edom of Edom... Edom Obadiah? Yes, oh. um, Obadiah. So Obadiah um, prophesies the destruction of Edom, and Edom is paradigmatic of the greater judgment to come in the day of the Lord. So they use... The, they use um, the prophets will use an, an event to prophesy about a greater event. So mm-hmm. I see... I, that's, that's why, to me, it's like, well, Predators makes sense about John be talking about, like... And Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70... But also that te- destruction of the temple goes beyond to the last day. So that's where, to me, it's, I think, uh, the one the things that I want to hold to the most on the views of interpreting Revelation as a whole is I want to see it in its original literary context, as in the entire book has to make sense to the, to the groups that it was given to in mm. the first century. Mm. The churches that it was circulated around, the entire book was for them, and the entire book is for us, and the entire book is for our future generations. So how does that book apply to all of us versus someone that would see like everything past the, the um, seven churches as future. Because I mean, I grew up dispensational where I was taught all of this is for someone else to come in the future. We can read it now just for fun and just to kind of think about it. Yeah. But this isn't meant for us. And I'm not comfortable with that. The entire book of Revelation is for the church. So that's where... Throughout all history. Yeah. So that's where I want to go with the literary context. I'm going to go with an idealist like view of the literary signs and symbols. Um, but I'm also going to see that there are some future aspects to come. I think even, like, I grew up dispensationalist as well, which I feel like most, you know, evangelical Americans did. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the Kirk Cameron Left Behind movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those books, the Left Behind books, I mean, I, we were talking on Friday, like, those are 
I feel like every church library, you could go to a Presbyterian church library and somewhere they would have the they would have mm. the, the Left Behind book. So their marketing team <clears throat> just did a bang-up job. If um, I ever wanted to use uh, an analogy for God's omniscience, I would say the Left Behind books because they're just everywhere. <laughs> <All right. laughs> omnipresence? Omnipresence. Omniscience or omnipresence? Omnipresence. I might have said okay. omniscience, but omnipresence. Because no, they're, they're everywhere. They're yeah. all, like everywhere you turn, you see yeah, Left no. Behind books. I feel like if they're um, right behind me. But I, yeah, just up on that shelf, one day we're going to come in, there's going to be, um, I, I grew up dispensationalist, but I don't think my, uh, pastor, who is also my grandpa or like my parents, or I don't think anyone would have told me like, this is really a code book for people in the future Mm -hmm. to crack, to find out that like, you know, Donald Rumsfeld was the, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the antichrist or whatever, Mm -hmm. or kissinger henry kissinger or you know yeah, just yeah, whoever yeah. there there's there have been so many people um so they would say you know it it also is that like mm-hmm. it also is the code book that one day things are going to happen and we're going to like learn everybody's name in hebrew and do the math and like crack mm-hmm. codes and we'll, oh my gosh it was so obvious like it was mm-hmm. right in front of us the whole time but that it is also something that really does just kind of almost in the idealist term like paint a picture of the glory of God. Good. You know, just like I would say now that the prophecies of, you know, Isaiah against Israel and against the Assyrians or, mm-hmm. you know, Obadiah against Edom, that they're primarily for those people. But when I look to those, I see the character and nature of God. And mm-hmm. so that blesses me, that, that knowledge blesses me mm-hmm. um, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the primary, I'm not the primary audience, mm-hmm. but um, it, it is for me in a very real sense and i could say the same thing about revelation i am uh right now i don't really know where my eschatology is i grew up disby dispensationalist uh i as soon as i became reformed i became a millennial because that's what you have to be uh i feel like if you're a 21st century american calvinist um and, and so i think a millennialism <clears throat> is very common in the reform camp in general yeah yeah true um, so I became amillennial. Uh, I tried to study more and just read more and more into it. The more that I read, it's not like I felt solid about this, but I have started leaning more premillennial, mm-hmm. uh, historic premillennial. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently I've been listening to a good amount of Douglas Wilson and Jeff Durbin, who might have me trying to become uh, postmillennial, which I'm like, I've gotten all four stamps on my passport. If I, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do it because of that, or just to be kitschy or whatever. Can I ask but a question about their view, real quick. Since about postmillennial. About yeah, about their view of postmill. Uh, I will try to answer it. It's really only been within the last too, week or so be, that I've been be too doing complex. this deep dive. When they say postmill that Jesus returns after the millennial kingdom, do they believe that that millennial kingdom is a thousand years of good human existence? They believe that it is a thousand years of improved uh, human civilization okay. so like when long, does the clock start ticking i don't know okay. uh I, they uh, i don't even think they would necessarily say like oh the moment that the mm-hmm. you know christian to non-christian ra- ratio around the world flips above mm-hmm. you know 10 percent christian uh but they would say that it's a it is a i think they would say it's a literal thousand year period yeah of uh, there's going to be increased numbers of Christians around the world, which we're seeing. There's going to be increased. Uh, there's going to be decreased level of levels of like 
systemic injustice and poverty mm-hmm. around the world, which we're seeing. Um, there's going to be longer life expectancies. There's going to be lower infant mortality rates. And all of these things are going to happen because God's people will be pursuing the knowledge of God and, in his, and of his creation mm-hmm. in a consistent way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that thousand-year golden age, I mean, you know, primarily... Mm-hmm. It will be defined by increasing numbers of Christians and the the kingdom of God pressing, Mm -hmm. like pushing back the darkness. Um, And that at some point, I don't know, like I don't I don't think it's like, oh, and then we will attain the utopia by our own uh, doings. Mm -hmm. And then Christ will be like, hey, you made me a chair to sit in and he'll like float down and, and sit in the chair and. And mm-hmm. take the reins, which he was apparently un- like, mm-hmm. he's apparently unnecessary because we were able to attain the utopia without him. So yeah, I don't think that they're saying we will attain the utopia. Yeah, which, which like... that was <coughs> there was a group of uh, post mill in the past that did hold to that view, and that's Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? It, Catholicism would say like, look, through the Crusades and through the Inquisitions and things like that, we're going to mm-hmm. enforce this kingdom of light, pushing back, i.e killing Mm -hmm. uh you know the kingdom of darkness Mm -hmm. and then christ will return Mm -hmm. so i don't know that i would put myself in uh i put any of those labels Mm -hmm. on myself but i will say that i'm finding myself even subconsciously um thinking like a Mm post-millennial theonomist and uh i kind of like it i kind of dig it and it, it seems to flow very uh fluidly mm-hmm. like it, it seems to have a uh, holistic set of foundational principles mm-hmm. so if i had to throw my hat in any ring it would be the post mill mm-hmm. ring but i it, i'm nowhere near mm-hmm. solid there yet mm-hmm. so eric um i'd say that i'm right now at the moment more agnostic like i don't really know because i think Whether there's a god <laughs> no right i should clarify agnostic in in terms of eschatology yeah, yeah. Um, eschatologically agnostic. Eschatologically agnostic. larger words, so our <laughs> our fan thinks we're smarter than we are. Right. Uh, especially those in Singapore. And they're just <laughs> looking through dictionaries trying to catch up. Eschatologically agnostic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I've seen um, uh, cases for all of them, really. Mm-hmm. And so I, so yeah, I started out, I guess, dispensation. I didn't even know because when I first came into Christianity, you know, I just I just Googled mm-hmm. like this kind of stuff, and I came across a, some Tim LaHaye, and mm-hmm. I, I don't even know who it was. It was actually a website that had prophecy in the name. I forget what it was. Oh, yeah, and they like it would like mm-hmm. say you know there were tabs about like Daniel learning Revelation and all stuff. So that's how I learned it, and then um, I, uh, I I I end up on the historic premillennial. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So we got a good spread here. Yeah, yeah uh, for for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I realizing a lot of dispensational things were mm-hmm. completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, the school that I went to, the teacher who taught Revelation was on millennial. I have friends who were on millennial mm-hmm. because they were uh, reformed. But I, I think really where where the amillennial position falls apart has has to do with <coughs> chapter twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when people are trying to argue that, um, like the first resurrection is just the saints, and it's kind of a spiritual resurrection, even though the language mm-hmm. is really sh- like they're they're beheaded, they're actually physically dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm listening mm-hmm. to these arguments, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's just it's not a good argument. And it happens it happens to be the chapter that talks about the millennium, you mm-hmm. know. So it's like I'm not really convinced by the amillennial, the post millennial, um, 
like when you read some uh, things in Isaiah, right? I, I remember actually being, I was at a gospel coalition in 2015, and it was something that uh, you heard from uh, John Piper, and you heard from mm -hmm. Timothy Keller and um, D.A. Carson, right? So I think, I know Piper is pre-millennial, but the, one of the other two, I think my name Timothy Keller was Amalem, but he was kind of criticizing the Amalem position, but he but he brought up something he in... He said Sam Storms? Oh, Sam Storms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sam Storms, yeah. No, I said D.A. Carson and Timothy Keller, because I remember those mm -hmm. guys yeah. were there. But yeah, it was Sam Storm. But um, anyways, he, he did criticize... Sam Storms is Ah? Yeah. Okay, okay so. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he has a book. It's called Amillennial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it's any A other. treatise against the Amillennials. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he brought up something and, and it made me um, do some more research on Isaiah. But like where he was, there was a passage talking about the new world, right? New heavens, new earth. And um, there's, it, it mentions there being sinners in there. Mm. And it's like, um, how, how does that work? You're saying like outside the gates. Right? No, no, no. Is that or what are you talking about? Um, it just it, it doesn't talk about gates or anything. It just it just talks about the new heavens and the earth, and it says that even the sinner will live to be a hundred. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. and the saints mm -hmm. will live to be like a billion. Trees. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, like trees. Yeah, like mm -hmm. the age will be like like they live a long time, mm -hmm. and but then there's like birth and stuff like that, and so mm -hmm. he's kind of like, oh, how did that how did that show yeah. up? And it's like, yeah, um, and that's I would say that's a good argument. It could be against amillennialism because it's like christ comes and then it, then it's over but it's like but this was happening this this ha this is the new heavens and earth this is what comes after mm. christ how are there still sinners mm. it could work with a pre-millennial it could work post-millennial as well mm -hmm. and uh and i've and i've read man i've read daniel i've read isaiah mm -hmm. and i'm i all i ended up doing was giving myself a headache because like a lot of it just mm. never really like it doesn't fit mm -hmm. perfectly into one of these categories that we've mentioned mm -hmm. um and what uh spurred me on to do a lot of research was being like really taking seriously preterism mm -hmm. the the that that notion um and you have full full preterists that think all the prophecies when it when it comes to what we would call eschatological prophecies the end times mm -hmm. so to speak is just primarily for the audience it was written to mm -hmm. and that it's already taken place and mm -hmm. we're after that fact and so, so i had to see the terminus 80 70 yeah starting the temple that was it yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was christ's return mm -hmm. so to speak and um so yeah like that that made me do a lot of research and hang I, on would a preterist say that that is the the terminus of all scripture or just the book of revelation because i don't know in my just kind of brushing up on it my understanding was that those views are specifically views of revelation no, preterism goes beyond. It believes okay. like everything. So that, everything Daniel prophesied, yeah. everything Matthew, yeah, in, in, in the Gospels. Jesus in Matthew. But they, yeah. I think they would, they would definitely still see a return of Christ in the future. Some do, some don't. Yeah. If the some that don't would find themselves out of orthodoxy. Yeah. Well, they do, and they accept yeah. that. Okay, that's cool. Um, Fine without the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> that's cool. But uh, so they, they would say. I mean, some of them. I can't say all of them, but they well, would say. Wouldn't just be Apostles' Creed. It would also be John. Anyone that does not does not anyone that does not acknowledge the coming of Christ again in the flesh is antichrist. When did he write that? The, the Apostle John, yeah. First John, I think is in that. Is in First John? Is that like ninety something? Like same well, time? Well, is, is that, earlier. Is that Jesus earlier. already having come, or is that Jesus coming? Because I remember that verse saying like, if you deny that Jesus came in the flesh. 
Oh, I see. That's a good question. Yeah, I you keep you keep going. Feel like it is King of Flesh. But um, but so it's really it's really trippy because they really make you question like, hey, you know, like why is it saying for the audience mm-hmm. soon this is happening? Like, prepare yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like those who are in Judah, when they see these things happen, head for the hills. Well, it's like, aren't the the original audience weren't the ones that are in Judah take that literally? Mm-hmm. There's no indication that that's just. Hey, that's just like a general. You're talking about Matthew. You're talking yeah, about the all of it discourse. Yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. And then, Matthew then like, 24 in Thessalonians, when Paul, I think it's when Paul talks about the man of lawlessness, he yeah. speaks of it as uh, well. I think he does say like I've already explained these things to you. You know what's mm-hmm. holding back? I guess the Antichrist and all this stuff. And it's like this audience knows, but this audience doesn't know what that's about. And, and so wait, the, who are this and this? Uh, this okay, so this audience knows what that means. That that would be the audience that's uh, around the time of the writing, like who okay. Paul's writing yeah. to. And when I'm saying this audience doesn't us know us today, us today, but I would say, well, they would say everybody outside of that audience don't really know. And it, it's it's, it's kind of true because we have a lot of views and debates uh, throughout the millennia, millennia's, mm-hmm. millenniums, millenniums. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, no, it's it's, Millen- it's millennia. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's millennia. Um. And so, like, so that's that's why I become more agnostic because it's like I think you know because like there are like I said like there are verses that seem to be more post millennial and there may be some verses more pre millennial some verses that seem more amillennial. Um, I'm just not I just couldn't be a post millennial because it's too optimistic. I mean, I've heard of <laughs> pessimistic post millennials. I don't know how that works. Oh man! But uh, it's like a. That'd make a great movie. <laughs> Pessimistic post-millennialism. So the church gets power, yeah. and man, it's like Judge Dredd type of situation. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never actually uh, come across it. I've just only heard people talk about it. Um, but it's like, I, I just couldn't be that optimistic with post-millennial. Because I was actually watching a video. Mm, be- hang on, because... Uh, about this Okay, one. because of what's in the video? It is, has come. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's what I was um, Well, this, this just really uh displays my my thinking but the, the video uh, talks about our current economy and it talks in about america today the world okay the world today and okay. it's talking about how like like a lot of things you said like life expectancy poverty all these things are at all time like all time high or all time low but it's, it's better mm-hmm. everything is better then this is a recent phenomenon uh-huh. and it's like but also where our world economy is it has never really been there before and any parallels we can draw to to history, it shows that something negative could really happen. Hmm. But you know, we're 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 trekking, you know, a new frontier when it comes to the world economy, especially. And it's it's unsustainable growth, and it's the type of growth that it seems like it borrows stability from the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's like it could work. It's, hmm. They're not saying it, it. It like it could just continue, and you know, I mean, the economy's has the fluctuations naturally Mm -hmm. but 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 so that's like normal but they're saying like the other thing is this does just fall apart on itself and then a lot of what we we're looking at uh, optimistically can just disappear pretty easily and that's my thing it's like Mm. there are a lot of wars that should have happened but haven't happened because of diplomacy like we've been Mm -hmm. prolonging we've been kicking the can down the road Mm -hmm. it's like at some point you have to figure it's all going. You're talking about wars happen. like. Oh man, the Middle like, East. Like okay, the okay, Middle East. Yeah, but you know, I would say Eastern Europe right now. I mean, Africa, heard, Central America Africa with communism, yeah. like those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 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 I mean, it's hard to see 
us as you know the United States not somehow involved. Yeah. Right, and it's like yeah, I don't know if you've been catching up with what's been going on in like Eastern Europe with the mm. buildup of the Russian army. Yeah, and a lot of the rhetoric that comes from Putin, and it's like this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. What did you just call him? I could say Putin or Putin. <laughs> I've, I think I've only heard Putin. Yeah, but mm-hmm. anyway, it doesn't so, matter. But um, I don't know how to say it in Russian. It's probably more Putin. I don't feel like Pyotr. <laughs> um, so anyway, like uh, you know, like this. Obviously, rhetoric stuff like that happens, but conflicts do happen. Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But Russia did invade to some extent Ukraine, mm-hmm. and they have been in this, yeah, in Crimea River, Crimea River, <laughs> and um, it, it has been kind of a stalemate. Mm-hmm. And building up forces again, and, and the kind of rhetoric, it can go bad. It can go south. Um, man, like if, if Iran gets mm-hmm. hands on nukes, or maybe they're like, you know, screw this. Uh, we're just going to go all attack and this creates, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. uh, destroy the stability. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of stability? Instability? Instability. Yeah. I wanted chaos. to say this chaos, yeah. Chaos, maybe. Chaos. But like, and you have a lot of, uh, players in the Mideast just mm. by itself. And that's going to naturally draw a lot more other players in it. And it's just like, I just don't see how the Middle East is not going to get into a major conflict in the next mm. 20 years. I mean, if Iran... <clears throat> we'll define major. Major like what the Syrian civil war was? No. Or you're saying nuclear? No, not. Okay. Uh, I mean, unless Iran gets their hands on You nukes. think if Iran gets nuclear missiles that it will use them? 100%. Against? Uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Easily. Mm. <clears throat> but um, the thing is, Israel won't let Iran. Well, what are the repercussions for Iran if they use nuclear missiles on Israel and Saudi Arabia? Israel will use it on them. Well, America will step in. Well, America will step in, but Israel will use it on them already. Like, and and that's that okay for them. Embarrassing for America since we gave them the nukes. Since we gave Iran. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, now we're yeah. And, that's and, a whole separate thing. It's yeah, it's like a whole thing. But but you see how but it's then we like... can just say that's a whoopsie and move on. <laughs> that's a whoopsie. The Middle East was already kind of uninhabitable. Well, and even I've been reading, like, uh, France and other uh, European powers are Mm -hmm. trying to retrain their army for conventional warfare. Because they're like, we were in a period where it was Mm -hmm. unconventional against terrorist organizations, but now we're going back to a period where this seems like Mm -hmm. regional conflicts are more likely than ever. Mm -hmm. Especially with Turkey. Turkey's another power uh, Mm -hmm. that's really trying to enforce its... And it's like, they are itching for a fight with, like, Greece. Mm -hmm. Greece is a NATO Mm -hmm. member. So it's technically Turkey. Turkey. I was gonna say yeah. Turkey. But what's NATO. what's the whole pact with NATO? Attack one member, and you attack like everybody will get mm-hmm. involved. And it's like, I so we just th- need to get everyone in NATO, <laughs> right? You could. Oh wait, that's the <laughs> way. What if? Oh, I see. What you're, like, if both people are in NATO that attack, whose side do you go on? Well, the right. one you go together. against the one who struck first. Yeah, it's probably what's gonna happen. But oh, yeah, 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 but do sense. these do these countries really want to? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's gonna make or break NATO. I I don't. You know? think okay so you're saying a lot of things i know i am saying um one like when it comes to just the the way that this makes me think of eschatology or the end of the world um or even just like some nuclear holocaust it doesn't have to be you know christ's second coming Mm -hmm. but um i i first of all i don't think that we're in the same type of situation that the world was in at the height of the roman empire where it's like if you sack rome you set 
civil you set humanity back a thousand years there's going to be a thousand years of darkness i don't think that that can happen today Mm -hmm. because information is so disseminated across the entire world Mm -hmm. you know um in in, i mean you have a lot of books right and well and electronic information yeah but electronic information can be destroyed well okay so that that is actually what i was going to say is like i think my favorite my favorite apocalypse scenario is not nuclear (laughs) or excited is not nuclear or zombies or you know whatever we talked about in high school but a solar flare yeah a solar flare that just fries every circuit that puts us back though like yeah because that was the thing but i i think there's enough even printed that you couldn't have there's no like library of alexandra where it all is and if you were to destroy Mm -hmm. that it wouldn't pop else pop up elsewhere and then um there were two concepts well actually no we did talk one of them through to the end but i I felt like you were just gonna like build to this point of tension and then say so then you got to worry about that and then go on to the next one and say the build 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 and now you got to worry about that. And the first one was East Asia and oh, Russia. Oh gosh, I forgot about. Well, no. or not sorry, not East Asia, uh, East Eastern Europe. Europe. But you have um, Southeast Asia, which is really... yeah, Southeast Asia, Ooh. and and you know China growing with its uh, plans for uh, what is it the the what do they call it? There's a building plan for all these railroads and all these ports that mm-hmm. are being built for them to be able to just massively. Uh, ratchet up their trade industry mm-hmm. which they are which is already huge mm-hmm. um and to make themselves globally indispensable okay i i don't think russia's okay russia's a threat if you're belarus or the ukraine or you know a baltic state or something mm-hmm. um are those are those countries nato members belarus lithuania latvia estonia I really don't no. know. anyway um i i don't see uh, I don't see a Russian invasion if it were to happen. I, I mean, I don't foresee that really happening in the next, within Putin's lifetime, to be honest. Uh, it could happen. But if it were to happen, I don't see that disrupting the global stability, even to the degree that the Cold War did. You know, because, to be honest, Russia and the United States are not on the worst of terms. You know? Um, I mean... Compare when it, yeah when you say the worst of terms and you have to think of like the Cuban you know the crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis yeah, like which was so exactly crazy. I mean like how gosh like our parents well I don't, I don't know about you Eric but like my parents lived in Florida during that time mm. and how are you not like how do you ever go to bed and you're like oh, well yeah. you know there are there are enemy nukes that are mm. stationed like you know four hundred miles from here yeah. <laughs> um, like. I could if there were if there were land all the way I could drive there in maybe yeah. like eight hours. <laughs> There's a movie with Brendan Fraser. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but like they they live. I mean, they're in the United States. I don't think they live in Florida, but like the the dad is like he's got a bunker. Oh, blast the past. Yeah, he's yeah. played by Christopher Walken, right? And a plane, I think, crashes in the yeah. backyard, and they think it's the Russian. Oh family. yeah, and they just go down there. And they I live had, there for like thirty. Dude, years. I think I saw that movie when I was like nine. Yeah, it's. A I don't know movie. how it's I remember that. It's an interesting but, yeah. movie. Like, yeah. It's like, He's like relearning everything. Yeah. And just speaking of the Cold War, I just want to say yeah. I, I'm three episodes into Chernobyl. <gasps> Such a good show. Like it you is. finished three? Yeah, I finished three. <sighs> I would have finished all of my started late, but like, dude. Anyways. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. beautiful. I hope. Beautiful. I hope there's never that kind of nu- nuclear fallout. Yeah. Seeing what, what how they, yeah, pretty much degrade. Like, 
uh, here or just in get again in general? In general. Well, what I mean, like, especially like a global, because like seeing the effects. I think the last one that happened was Japan in like 2000. Fukushima. Yeah, Fukushima. And then there was Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island was way way better. That's but I'm saying, like, there have been yeah. multiple... But apparently, like, uh, the technology for uh, nuclear power plants now are, like, that's impossible to happen. So maybe that's a post-millennial... We also, we also don't... Why worry about something that's never going to happen? happen? Well, we... Like, as far <laughs> You'll as, get there. It's hard to say, because, like, globally, but as far as in the West, like, even back then, we weren't using the same facilities. I think they probably will bring it up in the show. We, we don't use the same facilities that they yeah, were using. They time. specifically <laughs> used an unstable reactor core. Yeah. That was how they were able to do to. Uh, that that's what RBMK reactors are. It's an unstable system yeah. that they or not an unstable system. A system that revs up as you as to make power, and then you kind of bring it down instead of a system that kind of goes up to down. Yeah, what we use. It's it's always kind of stable. It's a really great show. Just yeah, it really you is. Should watch it. Five one hour episodes, and it is worth. <laughs> oh yeah, watch. Because that's the thing. Like it's like, I love Chernobyl a lot, but I also really love nuclear energy. Because it is extremely clean and extremely safe in the right parameters, and yeah. it has like barely any waste to it. But because of things like Chernobyl and Fukushima, like it's yeah. got the worst rap. Well, and, and these are like older. I, I think yeah. that's a fair rap to have. Yeah, worker, worker. <laughs> because uh, somebody pointed out, like, okay, we've only had we've only had nuclear energy for what eighty years, Maybe and there are already. That. Well, okay, yeah. we, we knew how to split the atom yeah, eight oh, yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you're right, not even that. So let's say 70, 70 years. for, like, nuclear power plants. Yeah. Uh, and so for 70 years we've had it, and there are already, like, multiple places on the face of the Earth that will not be inhabitable for another, like, 30,000 years. Yeah, that's So it, at big. this rate, it's, it's still not like It's still, what's, what's still crazy to see the stats is, is that with all of that fallout and all of the damage from the nuclear disasters that are really horrific when they do happen, mm -hmm. it's like, um, in comparison to all the different types of energy, it's, what is it, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of how to, how to represent the percentages. Like, for every one person that's died uh, via nuclear power, it's like 400,000 have died coal. Okay, but I would mm. argue, who cares... Okay, not who, who cares. cares. That's really that sad. One's a, but you phrase okay, that let, let me let me just way. let me just stick with that. Yeah, I would argue who cares because when a coal disaster happens a week later, you can like you know build on that territory. You can go mm -hmm. in and assess. It's not like okay now there's oh, what like twenty the six hundred square miles Actually, of land that is not okay. So you know okay, obviously not the next week. But what are you talking about? There is a because the uh, ground is damaged. A coal mine. Well, there was a that coal just keeps mine burning. That, that's it's still burning, and it will. Burn. We're talking about in the Middle East, right? No, no, or it's no, in no, the no. U.S. It is in the U.S. Yes. Oh. And every now and again, the ground. Oh, that's will, a natural oh, yeah. gas thing. Right? No, no, it's coal. It is. The coal, coal is burning, coal is yeah. extremely a dangerous thing to yeah. mine. And so, so that's it, one thing it, you don't it, you don't hear about a lot. Yeah. My, uh, okay. My, well, then my argument is. Yeah. How I long get, have we had colon? I get what and we got <laughs> one of those eternal hells. I, I, I do. I do get what you're saying that there's not like a, a massive like um, uh, miles and miles and miles long thing. kind of thing. You make um, a point over here. I just go over here. But and it, and it also makes sense of like historically all that. But I I mean I I think it's I think my point is not to say one like this one's better than the other, but just the I think we we are. It's almost like how I have a fear of flying. 
but not a fear of driving, even though the stats of, like, yeah. well, like it's it. insane, the statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, driving, it's like, you are, like, one and two about to die. Just think of dumb and dumb. Um, but and my, my great-grandfather was a coal miner, and he did, well, he didn't die. Well, he died from, um, uh, from black emphysema, lung? black oh, okay. lung, from just doing, like, a couple of years mm-hmm. in the coal mine. But mm-hmm. it was a lot down the road. But he did lose a couple fingers. It's a dangerous place yeah. to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a crazy thing, because I didn't realize about this, that... The shift you work in a coal mine is you go into the mine, uh-huh. and then for 10 hours you're in the mine, you never come out. You eat lunch in the mine, and yeah. you just mine, and then you come out after 10 hours. Yeah. Can I tell you Okay, my, and that's my... in the past. I feel like right? coal mining has not gotten too much better. Jeez. So, yeah. hey, man, you're working four tens and you but, get a three-day weekend. But the pay has gone up significant, though, so it actually does pay a lot yeah. more than you'd think to do coal mining. Can uh, I tell you my favorite line so far in the movie? Or in the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, he's... Uh, in front of the council, and it's the the doctor. I forget what his name is, but the professor, the not uh, the woman Mor- Moriarty. Are you Moriarty? About, yeah. Are you talking about Jerry um, Paris? Oh, Starts with an God. L. Yeah, uh, Labisca or something. Labisco. Lavasov. Lavasov. Vic. Uh, Vyosi Lavasco. Man. Leo Tolstoy. I'll get it in a second. That guy, but he says. So he stands and he says everything, and he's like, "So we're we're seeking your permission." And, um, I think I know what you're going to say. Is it Kru- not Khrushchev? Gorbachev. It's Gorbachev, yeah. And Gorbachev, Gorbachev says, uh, what are you asking my permission for? He's like, to kill three people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, asking, yeah. we're asking if we can I was kill like, oh people. my gosh. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten, because they might, one is definitely in episode five, and then one might be mm-hmm. in four, but there are two lines that made me laugh out loud, like, uh, not, it's not like inappropriate. But it's like play. so shocking. I, I think one of them is in, uh, in episode three. Yeah, it's it's in that it might be in that same meeting because he says we need all of the liquid nitrogen yeah, in the yeah. Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like laughed out loud because I'm like, what an ask! Yeah. Like, who's gonna say I need all of like I need all of the aluminum in America? Yeah, and like uh, Gorbachev's response, like <laughs> you have it, you have it, yeah. it. like you have it's it. Like, it should be obvious done. to you by now yeah, that you like, have whatever. When they do the numbers and they're like saying like how many millions of people are gonna die yeah. and how many, and it's just like, and we have what was it, forty eight hours. To do yeah. something yeah was, oh you're talking about if it hit the the water yeah the water supply like guys the biggest thermal nuclear wow. in the world like yeah i'm so grateful for like he said just the the heat the thermal explosion would be like however many miles and miles in diameter yeah which is like more than an you know yeah. an atom bomb yeah and then they talk oh. about the rotungans Oh, oh, the Rockins. 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 Yeah. Rockin. Rockin. Yeah. There it is. And how is this? Describe- Anyways, uh, that's like a very big like uh, however rabbit many trail. Hiroshima but... bombs per day. Yes, and and per day. I can't. <laughs> hour. I can't spoil. We'll day. we'll talk about it later. I don't want to yeah. spoil it for the. But yeah. like, there were a lot of lines. There were a lot of scenes, and I'm yeah. just like, it's like the fact that people actually like that's a true story. And I mean, so I'm teaching about the Cold War right now. I don't think any of them were post Malone. Is my point. <laughs> well, no, this is okay. So, They're two wrong. things. Probably One is like, this is maybe why I'm more worried about nuclear energy is because I am post mill. Or, okay, I shouldn't be saying that, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. I'm thinking like a post mill mm-hmm. Miller, post Miller. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it makes me think like, okay, we need to do our part. And it, I, I will admit that growing up in dispensationalism, there's a lot of like, who cares, man? Drive your Hummer, and I don't care if you get, like, two yeah. miles to a gallon. Like, the whole thing's going to blow up. You know, God's going to blow up this world and create a new one anyway. So just, mm-hmm. you know, rev your engine and, sw- like, nu- mm-hmm. let's switch to nuclear energy and let's yeah. nuke Iraq and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that on the one hand. But then I think, you know, even just teaching about all this stuff in my in my history class, 
Like, it, it's crazy to think... Okay, let, let me totally rephrase that. It is absolutely the sanest thing in the world to have been, like, a doomsayer mm-hmm. during the Cuban Missile Crisis or dur- during the 80s or, like, if you hear about the Chernobyl explosion, it's like, holy cow, there's mm-hmm. no way that we're not living in the last decade of all of human history yeah. because look at the the capacity for destruction. You know, the World War II, which was an absolute nightmare, mm-hmm. was in the very real living memory of most people mm-hmm. for a lot of the Cold War. And so it's like, okay, how, how can you expect anyone to not think, like, okay, maybe maybe we're already into, like, the, the seven years of tribulation mm-hmm. and, because things are so nightmarish right now. Mm-hmm. And they did shoot up pretty quickly. That's like, yeah. They, they, they yeah. ramped up to where, like, we had two of the bloodiest conflicts that the Earth had ever seen yeah. with World War One II. And, they, and, and like, the numbers within don't even compare. 20 years. Well, within 30 years. don't even compare. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like what the... I, I've... In talking about World War Two, you know, you look up the top ten list of bloodiest battles of all time, and nine of them are in World War Two. Yes, and the other one is like part of the Chinese Civil War that was mm-hmm. right after World War Two, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much part of World War Two. Yeah, and uh, so it, it's like, gosh, just you know, th- thinking of those numbers and thinking of how many people gave their their lives for like the expansion of the German Empire. Or for the expansion, for like the preservation of Soviet socialism, and like there, there are absolutely like cults of personality. You have these great—I mm-hmm. mean, you know, horrible, but great characters historically. Mm-hmm. Like, how often does history get a character who is as great of a villain, or just who has the presence that a Hitler has? Mm-hmm. And then it's like we had Hitler, Stalin, and Mao alive at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah. and like all working. You know, so Stalin and Hitler were in charge at the same time, and Mao was rising to power during that time. So, yeah, an unprecedented number of deaths that they were. Yeah, I mean, like especially Stalin and Mao. I think that's the crazy thing. Yeah, well, because they lived. Well, it's because they survived World War Two. I think Hitler would have been like if he had continued his Jew exterminating project. Like, yeah, well, and, and. It wasn't just Jew. I think it killed at least yeah. a million Slavic Yeah, the Romani. And, yeah. Lot, yeah. There was a lot of, of extensive. Um, but then that doesn't compare they, to like Stalin. Or Stalin's yeah. 30 million versus um, Hitler's, I think, 6 or 7. And Mao's 40, Mao's, right? I think Mao was 50. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Chinese communism. It's hard to say the numbers. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. The it, margins probably, of error are like 10 yeah. million mm-hmm. people. We probably can't know for sure. I think the official... Like the the best numbers that I saw when I when I taught through this most recently is that Mao is forty and Chinese communism total like even past Mao so Deng Xiaoping mm-hmm. and then Xi Jinping, uh, sixty five, sixty five mm-hmm. million. Mm-hmm. So, like what a, mm-hmm. like I I can't blame my parents mm-hmm. for being really into yeah. like the whole left behind type of thing because mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you live through that and just not every every morning just wake up and be like come on jesus like please just yeah. even so come lord jesus because yeah. Yeah. we're not gonna make it yeah. like i think that we do have to kind of answer for that too of, of uh the violence that's that's done in the 20th century like what what accounts for that um you don't you don't sound like we, we should have an we shouldn't just be like oh yeah that's the, the, we'll just disregard that in our yeah you know, like there should be Whoopsie. something there should be something to say of like what's what's going on um why 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 does it seem like our conflicts are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and it almost seems like there's the exact opposite of accountability 
Mm. when you read about like the Nuremberg trials mm. and what happened to most of those guys. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you had some hangings, you had a nice show of like mm. here's some executions and you know crimes against humanity, war crimes, crimes against you know nature, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you hang yourself some people. But then it's like a ton of those German scientists and Japanese scientists just wind up being hired by American mm-hmm. engineering companies. The Mercury Redstone rocket was designed by Werner von Braun, who was an SS member. Wow. Yeah, so... No. This Paperclip? Is, this is good. Operation that? Paperclip? I think right? so. Yeah. yeah, he was one of the ones that they wanted to get immediately, because he was like the father of rocket science. But the way he developed rockets was to use rockets to bomb London. Yeah, and the, his answer, the, he, he, was, he was an interesting figure because uh, I don't know a ton about him. I don't know a, a ton about him, but I know that he, he seemed like a little bit more, <coughs> like Let's... almost like amorally neutral in a weird, like immoral way because he they were like, well, I'm going to use your rockets to blow up London. Yeah. He's like, cool, as long as I can build rockets, I don't care what you do with them. <laughs> um, like he Rocket was that kind of boom. guy. He was just so focused on the science. He's like, I don't know yeah. how far it goes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me know from which point you can yeah. launch it for it to hit London, mm-hmm. and I'll be a happy camper. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so I mean that that I mean, it begs the question. I mean, if you look at the 20th century alone, have things actually gone better, or is that more like after the fact? You know what I mean? Like now, I would say <clears throat> it does look objectively better, but the 20th century, if you look at it as a whole, that that wasn't that mm-hmm. the bloodiest century ever. That we have in recording. Well, do you want a real answer? Yeah, I want a real answer. I would say yes. Things have gone I would say that even even with the death tolls of the 20th century, (laughs) I would say that when it comes to more and more people and more and more people groups uh, hearing about and gaining access to the the story of Christ's, Mm -hmm. you know, redemptive work... um, that yeah, mm-hmm. that it's better, and that that's the sort of thing that I feel like you can only really say as a Calvinist because it's like, you know, gosh, it, it's such a it's such a vast oversimplification, and you don't want to come off as uh, cold hearted. But God is making an omelet, and in the making of that omelet, there's going to be the breaking of mm-hmm. you know so many eggs. Mm. And it's like how could you refer to the Holocaust as like the breaking of an egg, and how could you refer to you know, the, the Nanking massacre or, mm-hmm. you know, just all these other things as, as the breaking of an egg. And it's like, you don't know how good this omelet's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel bad even just using those words. But, I mean, I've said this several times. I really do believe the most important verse of all scripture is Romans 8.8, 8, which says, look, brothers, I consider that all the suffering of this age is not even worthy to be compared mm-hmm. with the glory that's going to be revealed. And when you think of how much suffering there's been, like, that's a bold claim, even even for Paul in his day. And he used to be a cop, you know, religious cop that went into places and mm-hmm. found people who said Jesus was Lord, led them out to be mm-hmm. killed. And, like, he's, he's responsible for that. He, he, he's seen what Rome has done. He's seen mm-hmm. what the, the Pharisaical sect has done. And still, he's like, all of that death, all of that, you know, all of those mothers being mm-hmm. stripped from their kids, all of those, like, it's not worthy to be compared mm-hmm. with the glory that's going to be revealed hereafter. Well, did you have something? Yeah, so I think like along those those lines of um, better or worse kind of thing, like for me, I would see uh, 
the concurrency. I think that's what you see with Amo view is that these things are happening together, that the church is expanding and getting better, but society is also expanding and getting better and they're happening. Um, it's, so it's a mixed bag of, because of the effect you that can't say the one, kingdom is one, having. Yeah, on, exactly. You yeah. can't say one or the other. Yeah. You have to, they're both simultaneously occurring. The kingdom is advancing, um, like what you were talking about, but society is also not getting better. Um, so I think that that's, that's what I like about Amil versus an idea of like society's getting better or I, everything's getting better and the war stuff is going away is that it kind of, it kind of deals with history as we have it, which mm-hmm. is that at the same time the church is advancing and the kingdom's advancing and the gospel's advancing, society is also advancing and getting terrible. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I will say, cause Dan, you and I had an mm-hmm. eschatological conversation a couple Sundays ago mm-hmm. and it's like, I will say that the best things about um, post-millennialism, I feel like they really are just instances where I almost feel like I'm being talked back into amillennialism mm-hmm. because of the whole like literal uh, thousand years. It's like, well, I, I don't hear Doug Wilson or I don't hear um, Jeff Durbin or anyone talk about like it being a literal thousand years. So I'm like, really... I, I almost don't see much of a difference except mm-hmm. for, I mean, I, I think that the main difference in those cases is the optimism. Mm-hmm. The optimism that really things are going to get mm-hmm. better and better. Yeah, that, so, uh, my, so that's my, because that's my pushback. Because that's one of the things when we were talking, the first thing I asked is how is that different than Amil, what yeah. they're saying, if they're not talking about a literal. Because that's the way I see yeah. it, uh, the big difference between the two views. of uh, Their view of post-mill and um, the Amel view, the only difference is if they if they do believe in a, a, a literal thousand years, that makes sense. But I think my worry is uh, what pessimistic Amelian people have you been talking to? Because I don't see Amelianians. No, I, not, I didn't. I don't think I said that. Because, um, well, I've heard, I've heard a couple there, people say, I that, think I've heard that, a couple say that like they like post-mill because it's so optimistic versus Amel. I'm like, well, what's pessimistic about Amel? Yeah, I think maybe they're... And, I would be saying, you know, in the way that I just mm-hmm. said it, so I said, yeah, um, that really that optimism is for the state that the world is going to be in, you know, for the rest of our lifetimes and then mm-hmm. even beyond. You know, so mm-hmm. pessimism, like they're both optimistic but it's okay. because they okay. both believe that God is going to be glorified, mm-hmm. the church is going to be preserved, mm-hmm. uh, Christianity is going to be spread around the whole world, you mm-hmm. know, Matthew twenty four fourteen. Um so they, they both believe those things and are optimistic in that sense. But a post-millennialist believes that also, like, nations are going to improve. I see. And, I see. Yeah. like, you know, there, there's going to be... And I, I think you really do see that as far as, you know, people... There's a lot to complain about with America. But there's less corruption in Washington now than there has ever been. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to look back uh, at previous yeah. periods in, in American history... And I'm not saying that that has to do with... You know, if if you were to look at the causality, I'm not saying that it would read like, oh, it's it's definitely the Christian impact. I think a lot of it has to do with the transparency impact and mm-hmm. like the impact of social media and mm-hmm. like easily disseminated information. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. makes sense though, because where a Christian goes, this is the the community yeah, should get the better. light can't help but Be- shine. Yeah, because we're we're loving the community, we're serving the community, we're helping the community. So when we go into a nation, when the when uh. When the church is located in a city, when it's located um, in a nation, that nation is going to benefit from the from the love and care and generosity of Christians in the. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, I don't. Yeah. So yeah, that that I can I can track with that. Mm. I see I see what you're talking about about the difference though. Yeah. 
So, okay, so my, I guess, pushback um, has to do with, like, a lot of times when we think about these positions, we think about pretty much the state of the world. But I, I would say, like, let's look at the state of the church. My pushback is I don't think the church has objectively gotten better. And so, yeah, there's more Christians, but... Wait, wait, wait. More real Christians or more... That's what I would ask Professing you. Christians. Well, that, that's okay. why, because you're saying like more and more people, more mm -hmm. people groups have heard mm -hmm. this. Like, does that mean that's, that they're all just real Christians? Mm -hmm. And so there is an expansion mm -hmm. of Christianity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the societies may get better to some extent. But I think there's a kind of a trade-off there. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I think like if you look historically at the church and its interactions with other kingdoms, especially in Europe... It's been, you know, like you can make an argument that Christianity affected Europe, but it's vice versa also, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's like I don't I don't really see an objective argument that the church mm -hmm. has gotten better. And so how does that mm -hmm. play into these the way you view these millennial mm -hmm. positions or or anything as catalogical? Can I throw a raw thought out to develop? Cook like it a not, little. Yeah. Like a medium. one. Yeah. I don't know how much I've cooked it, but just like a, just like a, <laughs> no, like, a like a, like a, like a, like a shocking, or like not shocking, but like a, this, say is, it. this is an interesting thought. Um, the church, the church gets better when the society's worse. Like the light shines brighter and, in the darkness. Yeah. Kind of and thing? when society's good, the church gets weaker. That's what mm -hmm. I would argue from seeing Ameri like the American the, church. The blood of the martyrs waters the tree of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the fact that what the 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 times that the church is what's expanding the 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 quickest was mm -hmm. under persecution, and the most heavily um, evangelizing and stronger um, areas of Christianity right now are in areas where the Christianity is uh, either illegal or persecuted. Huh. The center of the because the center of the church you can move where the most Christians are located. It's moving back towards the east because there are more, um, there's more Christians and there's more of a there are more of a growth in Christian churches in uh, China, India, and Africa than there. Yeah, is I was going to say in the, what Europe. people yeah. are increasingly calling the global yeah. south. And so to me, I'm not saying that I have a firm feel of like whether that's true or not. It's just interesting to this is because this isn't like a biblical argument. It's more of just looking through church history. And the times when the church was strong, and maybe this is just because I'm reading through Radical right now, <laughs> the times when the church was strongest and was developing, and they had a heart for evangelism, and it was, and their, and everyone's faith was very serious and not casual, was when society was against them, and <laughs> when society is for, I see a lot of comfort. The and the reason I'm I'm also bringing that up is, uh, the reason dispensationalism exists is because of North American prosperity. Yeah, it did not yeah. exist before then. And, and I, think, I would argue because. All of a sudden, Israel became a country again. That's true. Like, that yeah, is we that's pretty significant. That's but but dispensational that. was but predated that. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, that that I. But I'd I say it, it yeah. shot up. That's true. Because like now you that's have a place true. on a map that you point, you can point to, and, and you're like, that's it. And that's Israel. And it was kind of inconvenient because there was an idea of like, oh, God's going to reinstitute Israel. Then it happened. They're like, ha, see, we told you. There's yeah. a little bit of that going on too. But that's something I think that's interesting is how that uh, a specific view is not just new but regional mm -hmm. because uh yeah, we, were talking, about, we were talking about that this morning in the theology group that i was in about take that view and go tell suffering christians in china mm, that yeah. god's going to take us out of all suffering that's his intention he's going to he's going to remove us from suffering well they're getting persecuted mm -hmm. like tell the early church well for us god's going to make sure that we don't have to suffer any through any tribulation by the way sorry you're getting sawed in half 
yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. he's not going to let us go through suffering. Ways. So to me, to me, I think that's just interesting. The I, I something I hadn't thought of before of the um, idea of taking this theology and seeing if it works around the world. And if theology doesn't work for the entire world, it only works for one specific region. Yeah. Yeah. That worries me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's my that's my raw thought of uh, the church being stronger as society gets worse. Well, and I I think so. What I was thinking to respond to your thing, Eric about, you know, is the church actually improving? Um, I would say, uh, I'm going to say yes right now, and then I'm going to try to substantiate that claim, and maybe I won't be able to, and so maybe I'll have to dial it back. But I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say, okay, there are are more Christians, uh, there are more professing Christians around the world Mm -hmm. today. And I think that regardless of you know, there, there's obviously going to be a percentage of them that are illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it would seem that the raw, the the actual number of Christians would still have to be going up. And not just because the population of the world is going up, but even as a percentage of the population. Those Christians have more access to God's word than they ever had in more languages. Those countries are spread around the world in a way that they've not been historically. Wow. There's ice cream everywhere. There's ice cream everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but a, there's cops, too. Just a sign that the world's getting better. Or the that cops they're both... are after the ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's That right there, that's a parallel of the fact that the kingdom's here, but already, it's already, but not yet. You've got ice cream trucks and cop cars. This podcast is brought to you by <gasps> that guy's ice cream truck. I totally want to write a book now called Ice Cream Trucks and Cop Cars about the already not yet kingdom. Wow. Oh, yeah, this podcast is also, also brought to you by uh, HBO Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, there's that the would cops. be an interesting is, sponsor see, for. You have the already of the ice cream truck, and then you have the not That's what yet. I'm saying. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it just it follows. Yeah. Let's just take a moment to and I, appreciate the neighborhood that I well, live in. Well, it just popped. Well, it just popped into mind. That's one of the things that I think I really do like to have reconciled with, no matter whatever um, view you are. Is it says that Christ descended to the right hand of the Father and sat down on His throne. Do you have a reigning Christ or not? Yeah, I, that's yeah. why I go on mill, on mill because I see Christ on the throne at the right hand of God, exercising authority over His kingdom. That's that's rulership language. So there has to be a kingdom in force. Okay. Um, so I I would say by continuing, and now we got a helicopter, ice cream trucks, cop cars, and helicopters. Helicopter on a helicopter. Anyway, um, Okay, the Christians who are in the world today have more access to God's word. It's mm-hmm. been translated into more languages. They're disseminated across mm-hmm. a greater surface area of the planet. Um, they have, I would say, they also have better access to just more good, solid Christian writing, like the Puritans being public domain and being, mm-hmm. you know, um, also in the libraries of way more people now mm-hmm. than they have been historically. Um, Bibles in a lot of languages. Yeah, so I, I'm still, I'm still going to say yes, and I think the. the the parallel that kind of came to mind is when people talk about music and people say like music is like, it's not what it used to be, man. Like there hmm. m- music used to be good. And now it's all just like pop cotton candy, like hmm. garbage um, that's made for 12 year olds. And it's like, okay, that's not true. I actually think that music is getting better hmm. and better, which Eric, I know that you think it peaked in the eighties. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, am I wrong? 60s, 70s, 80s. That's, that's where, uh, but I think, anyways, it doesn't matter because it's not about music. Well, I, I think that, <laughs> I think well, that I the thing saying. is like, there's more music now than there's ever been right, because yeah. everybody's got like, every high school has like 30 Spotify or like SoundCloud rappers, right. you know? And so there's going to be more, let's say, quote, 
musicians, mm, yeah. end quote, than there Easier have ever been, which means there's going to be more trash. Yeah. But because more people are able to attempt and are actually attempting, more people have access to like relatively good production tools, that there's going to be good musicians who would not have been able mm. to, uh, they wouldn't have been able to capitalize on their skills 30 years ago, and now they are. Now mm. there are. Okay, so there's more trash music and there's more good music. And I would say in the same way, there's more illegitimate Christianity around the world than there's ever been. But it would seem like there's also more legitimate Christianity around the world. So I get um, I get the the hesitation. You don't just want to dive in and say, well, hey, just because more people you know, wear cross necklaces and have heard the name of Jesus before. It doesn't mean that Christianity is like having a larger impact on the world, but it doesn't mean that it's not right. And it does mean that there's at least increased visibility, which ain't nothing. No, I think what we can do and what the, the conversation will be is just pointing out specifics like, Oh, here's good. But then you can point out here's bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so where's the progress? Because I think, um, you know, you could say in the first century, uh, there isn't as much availability of the scriptures. I mean, you could argue that it's being written. So let's say second century. Okay. okay? Uh, so there's not as much availability and there's persecution. But uh, for the most part, because of close proximity to the apostles, the apostolic mm -hmm. age, like you have, I think, a stronger foundation. You don't really have, um, I mean, I would argue you don't have as great of schisms or divisions mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. you do today so you could do that like and and i don't and i like none of the things that you said necessarily i would disagree with but i think when you do theology and you get into the issues i think that, that when it's really revealed like okay there's a lot of underlying problems here mm -hmm. that have developed throughout the ages mm -hmm. uh so I, that's why i'm saying like i don't know if you can make an objective case that the church has gotten better because even the idea of church can get really complicated mm -hmm. or just mm -hmm get muddied right like the visible versus the, the invisible exactly church. right mm -hmm. um but it's like so yeah that, that that's really my point mm -hmm. there and i'm just like wondering how that affects me because i yeah you can talk about societies and how they're getting better but is is the whole millennial like the millennial position that you take in eschatology is it really about how the world is changing is it really a story about the world is a story about the church mm. Uh, because even though there might be a lot of bad things we can say today about the church, mm -hmm. like you said, it's breaking eggs and it makes sense to how when God makes the omelet, mm -hmm. but it might give us a clue as to how we're supposed to think God gets to that omelet, I guess, mm -hmm. a post-millennial kind mm -hmm. of way, a pre-millennial, an amillennial, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it can, maybe mm -hmm. not. Uh, but I wanted to, to Is the number of eggs being broken increasing or decreasing? Mm -hmm. Is the is one of the you know points of contention. Anyway, right. you were going to bring up something. Well, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think this has everything to do with the conversation. So, because you talked about all millennial and Christ reigning, yeah, and it's true, right? It, it's it's look, you can't argue that Christ is reigning, but what some it, do? Yes, you can't yeah. argue against that he is. High scripturally, I would okay, say. Yeah. Like, you, you can't. Yeah. Like, what was his whole ascension about? What was Daniel seven about? Yeah. He is right? seated. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but I think that like a premillennial, I would say in my, if, if I still hold to a premillennial, like the idea isn't so much that Christ isn't reigning, but that the millennium is Christ reigning on this earth in a fullness, in a yeah. fullness. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say like that, that doesn't necessarily, um, 
negate at least pre-millennial. I don't know how it works for post-millennial. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that that's, that's the issue. Because you have it even in Revelation where it says that we will inherit the earth. I mean, you yeah. haven't even that in the Beatitudes. New heavens and new earth. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do, what do, you do with that? There yeah. seems to be like a point back to, to earth where I don't know if this is your idea of, of a millennial, mm-hmm. but like what I came across was mm-hmm. kind of like once Christ returns, it's all reset. over. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just reset. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's why I have an issue with all millennials because mm-hmm. like, no, there seems to be a lot of things that the scripture says that, sure, I mean, there might be some sort of figurative way of understanding that, mm-hmm. that we're just, we're being too literal. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are being too literal. Maybe it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, face value. But I think that's the difficulty in all of it. It's, it's just a lot of prophecy involved. Yeah. And I, I, like, when I was in college, it was like, yeah, let's take a, let's take a class on Amos and let's take a class on this and that. And it's like, great. But then I, now that I think about it, it's like, how do we know, unless it was explained mm. after the fact, but how do we know what prophecy really is, what the prophecy is really talking about? Mm-hmm. Like things in, in yeah. Isaiah, because Isaiah is full of that. Yeah. And I like, I, I'll just give an example where it says like, it talks about God's people and like the day of the Lord coming. And then mm-hmm. after that, uh, there will be found like no suffering or pain within his people. And it's like... Um, so like so yeah so like for like going against preterism mm-hmm. it's like well there's a lot of pain and suffering with yeah. this so how do you but it's just like but but how do we know that we're understanding these things right because it's mm-hmm. prophetic you mm-hmm. know there's a supernatural element to it so mm-hmm. it's it's almost to me like I guess there has to be an element to it where we just won't know because it has yeah. to be revealed right I think I think absolutely you hit on a really key thing which is that no matter what we do and no matter how uh, firm we are in our positions, we do need to approach this humbly, because a lot of these things are difficult, um, especially with prophecy. Like when Jesus came, there was a lot of times where they were like, they were expecting the right things, but in the wrong ways. Like they, oh, yeah. they had the right. Oh, when sucks. they said, when they said, Jesus, we we want you to storm Rome. They they had it, but they were at the wrong point in time. Yeah. They were skipping ahead to our future of when Jesus does take over all the kingdoms of the world. Um, so it does get difficult because it's like, well, these prophets are not always lining it up in sequential order. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're pointing this. Sometimes they're pointing, like I was talking about with Joel and Obadiah, sometimes they're using so- something that will happen to point to something else that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell what which times are you talking about. Are you talking about this time? Are you talking about this time? Are you talking about both times? So I think we do need to come through it with a little bit of humility, with a lot of humility. Um, yeah, and I think as far as the, the, the reigning of Christ... Because uh, I do think I have a lot of respect for the historic pre-mill view, and I think there's a lot of a lot of good in there. And basically, I think the difference would boil Ouch. down to Christ coming, um, and then reigning on on earth in a realized way. Then Satan and all sin gets destroyed, and then you have the new heavens and new earth, where he now reigns on earth again. Versus Amil, which is he comes, uh, at Satan's destroyed, Christ comes, and then there's the new heavens and new earth that he reigns over. So it's really just does he have this this inner inner I almost said intertestamental, intertestamental that, period. That's the word that popped into my mind. Yeah, too. intertestamental period where Christ is reigning in complete power on the earth. Then he'll defeat Satan and then go back to the period of reigning over the earth. I will say, like, that has always struck me as kind of weird. It's like, okay, so I'm going to lock him up and we're going to reign for a thousand years. And then I'm going to let him out. And then I'm going to beat him up. And then <laughs> we're going to reign, but just forever. Yeah. So it's like, well... 
I do like the, uh, mm-hmm. in my understanding, the amillennial and uh, the postmillennial view as well of like, it all just happens kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean... Well, the the way that I would understand it is the millennial kingdom starts with Christ and the defeat of Satan, the yeah. binding of Satan happened on the cross. And yeah. we see, like we talk about, like a lot less demon activity. Mm-hmm. Not none, but a lot less. The church has amazing power over Satan that the ancient world never did. Um, so Satan is bound as we are we are storming the house of Satan and bringing all his all the, his people over to our side. Yeah. We're going through... He's, he can't do anything. We're going to go bind. The, we're binding the strong man and robbing his house. That's, mm. I think, the way the scriptures talk about it. So that's the millennial kingdom that we're living in right Ooh. now. Go ahead. Does that make sense? So, so he's bound during this period. Christ is reigning. Simultaneously, this whole tribulation and judgment stuff is happening on the world. We're bringing in these people, and nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop the advance of us bind, uh, plundering the strong man's house. Then Christ returns, and that's when Satan is then judged and thrown in. And Christ now reigns in the new heavens and new earth forever. Yeah. To me, it just lines up beautifully. But that doesn't um, necessarily mean it's right or wrong. It just means, in my understanding, it fits. Well. Chronologically, what is the last instance of a demonic possession in the Bible? Is it like the sons of Sceva? Well, um, I don't know if that's before hmm. or after when Paul casts oh, no. out the demon. At Philippi, right? The girl? Yeah. Okay, so maybe that's it. Well, as far as like narrative, it it ends yeah. at the at the end of Acts, as far as the narrative goes. Yeah, exactly. Because the letters aren't really concerned with talking about the narratives. Well, okay, but they do say, um, they do mention events. Yeah. And so, in that sense, I would say, like, let's go ahead and include them in the chronology, even well, though they're did, not part of the you did the, like you did, Lucan yeah. narrative. You did ask when was the last mentioned one. You didn't say when the last yeah. one. For them just lost mention yeah i don't think there's is there in any of the letters mentioned like any demonic a specific position? because it talks about like doctrines of demons mm-hmm. yeah um but not like because a... okay so i heard heard jeff durbin say something and i was like one i'm surprised that i've never heard anyone say this before because it really does seem to make sense in such a way that it's like it, it feels like it should be there should be a sizable minority of people who buy this he says Okay, Daniel's 70th week, your 70th week, mm-hmm. um, is a literal seven-year period, mm-hmm. and that that 70th week, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about this? Oh, I know what you're talking about, the 70th week, but okay. not the rest so, of So, And the, the 70th week is cut in half, right? Three and a half, three and a half. And he believes that the first three and a half of those years are Christ's ministry, mm-hmm. and the second three and a half years are all of the time between the ascension and the opening of the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay. And I'm like, that is so interesting. Yeah. Like, I've, I've never heard that. And really, it does, it does put a lot of the demon fighting stuff in this seven-year window of time. And so, you know, it, it does add context to Revelation, and it does add context to, mm-hmm. you know, even a lot of the things that Jesus was saying himself. Mm-hmm. Um and it is very clear that that there was uh, the most period, the period of the most demonic activity was Christ's ministry yeah. in that time period. It's like there, there. So I think that is that is very. Or very you, crisp. I almost think of it as like you know, demonic activity was slowly increasing, and then it had just reached this level, mm-hmm. and then Jesus, this like mm-hmm. awesome king, comes in like with a sword, and he's just hacking them to pieces left and right, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, this demon's driven out. This demon who's, you know, uh, plaguing you with blindness is mm-hmm. is out and, you know, receive your sight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these these guys go into the pigs. 
these guys, and he just, yeah. you know, he's letting them have it. And he substantially depletes mm-hmm. the demonic uh, activity. I don't know if I'd say population, but you know what I mean, like the, yeah. the amount of demonic activity. But I was just like, man, that's so that's so strange that I've never heard that before. And mm. it, it, I almost want to believe it just because it fits so tidily in uh in the overarching narrative mm-hmm. so. i mean i do think there's there's some merit to it like I, that's how what i would hold to is that during during christ's ministry was the height of demonic activity on earth that doesn't mean that there's would you still... say that that's daniel's 70th week i think most i think I, I don't i don't have a ton of opinion or not opinion but i don't have a ton of like research and stuff into the 70 weeks oh, i do man. think that, and you grew up this week. i do th- i mean i've done a lot i mean a lot in that way as as far as like my view of it now yeah um, I know I would know what the I've studied a lot dispensationally, but I would see it more of focusing on the co- the coming of Christ and His crucifixion. Is that was is primarily what it's pointing to? Yeah. Um, well, because I almost want to say uh, I mean it makes sense why the people in when the New Testament uh, not being written, but what it's written about, like Jesus's birth around that time, that they're looking for the Messiah because. Daniel doesn't really like Daniel maps out when he's supposed to come. Yeah. I think the difficulty is it puts his coming and I believe the abomination of desolation like and maps it out. And that's like mm-hmm. the, but that's something that preterists latch on to mm-hmm. because that should have happened within eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like is it natural for us to take one of these weeks <laughs> out of all of these weeks? And say, oh, this is when is this when it doesn't necessarily like line up with what the angel is telling Daniel is supposed to happen with all these mm-hmm. events. And I don't, well, I don't know if it's just too much of a cop out. I don't think it is a cop out because I think there is like uh, a multiplicity of, of things going on. Because to me, it's like when they go, well, what is the abomination of desolation? Like, I think it can be multiple things. I don't think that there's like a it's this and it's either this or it's not. I'm like, you have Antiochus, you've got yeah. um, the, the sacking under uh, Titus, I think is the Roman yeah. Empire that sacked the temple. And then you might have some more to come. So it's like, to me, it's, I don't have to be, I don't feel like there's a, a straight up need of being like, oh, it can only be one or you're not taking the Bible seriously. I think a lot of times it has this uh, couple mean, couple of meanings or it can apply to a couple different situations. I had just a, a weird side thought which is okay titus emperor of the roman empire like not at its height but in a mm-hmm. very strong period and then titus some young preacher that paul wrote a less uh, letter to one time mm-hmm. it's like okay which of those tituses do you think is more well known in the world today some young preacher that paul mm-hmm. wrote a letter to one time or the guy who is actually the king of the world at one point and i would yeah, argue titus. especially among christians yeah. like it's definitely the young yeah kid. oh absolutely yeah. that makes sense <laughs> like just how cool is that yeah yeah hmm. i was um what did you just say on your last the multiple yeah the sacking antiochus oh yeah. well what, what i was gonna say is would you say though that matthew's audience mm-hmm. knew exactly what it was right when he was talking about it well, not just Matthew, but like, so this, because I think it's also said in Mark, where, it, where it's like, let the reader understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't understand, but the reader. But to like, pay, kind of pay attention to these things are kind of confusing. I mean, there's, that's the thing, like, I feel like, that's what, that's why I tend to say, like, humil- humility is important, and we shouldn't try to, like, over, have an overabundance of pride of, 
there's a lot of stuff the disciples didn't understand, and Jesus was right there explaining it to them. And I and, get that there's yeah, a we actually understand yeah. looking like how did yeah. you not get that? Yeah, he's not talking well, about and then bridge. that's like we have access to knowledge that Moses didn't know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things like, that I just progressive do, revelation I do hold to, and I think it's a good thing, a very good thing, a gift of God, is that revelation is tough to understand and we don't know it fully yeah because we don't want to get to a point where we shut the book and say i get what god said i've i've assumed the information i'm done god encourages us to come and chew on this information think about it so i think like when i hear someone say that they're agnostic on i'm like good you're meditating on scripture you're not done with it and moving on you want to come back to it i think god's doing that for a reason to give us uh to not just give us the answer right away but to say come and spend time with me chew on this think about this what what is the point you know like what what is this saying um how is this applying to your life so i think um that's one of the reasons i think that the symbolism in revelation like it keeps us uncomfortable mm. we shouldn't just be like that's this good i've got it i understand the science textbook i turn i close <laughs> it you know um yeah i think what makes me uncomfortable specifically about the book of revelation isn't so much like what it means mm-hmm. i mean that i think it's difficult to fit what it means and again to any of these views um but that it is so different from any other new testament writing mm. it's not even like it's not even close mm-hmm. there are some that have you know like in second thessalonians yeah. and maybe in first thessalonians where it has some like you yeah. know, jesus returning man of lawlessness but this is well, it's the only apocalyptic literature right in the whole new testament right but it fits so cozily in the old well, it's, I mean, it's clear yeah, I get that it. it's barring from the old, you know? Like, yeah. Well, the, yeah. Out of, what is it? Out of, like, what, is, I think it's like 300 and something verses, like 300 and, I think it's like 390 verses. There's 370 allusions to the end of quotes from the Old Testament. Right. Wow. Like, almost every verse in Revelation is pointing back somewhere in the Old Testament. Yeah. Which is why I think it's more helpful to think, not, it, it's less helpful to think like, wow, this book is very different than anything else in the New Testament. It's more helpful to think, wow, this book fits really, like you were saying, comfortably in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, like in the Bible as a whole. It does happen to be the only one of these types of books That's in the true. New Testament, but like, you know, you read it and you read Habakkuk and Joel and, mm-hmm. and Ezekiel and you're like, oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like you could say the same thing about Acts, mm-hmm. you know, there's not really, I mean, there's the Gospels, but there's no other book in the New Testament mm-hmm. that, you know, does what Acts does. In what way? Because I'm actually interested. Sure like in trying to follow the narrative of the church beyond the ascension of Christ, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm sure at some point there have probably been people who have said like, "We don't like. Why am I supposed to care about what the church did afterward? I mean, they they're obviously going to start messing things up right after Christ. So just tell me about the ministry of Christ, and we'll we'll extract thing we'll extract principles from that, and then you know maybe give me some letters, hmm. but just Paul's or just you know whatever. Who was the guy? Marcion. Mm-hmm. Was he the guy who was like just Luke, and yeah, like, like a, ten of Paul's letters? Yeah. Well, but his even his Luke, I think, is kind of like some of the other gospels cut into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Marcy. Uh, well, so I mean, I don't really see. And I'm not trying to just like just mm-hmm. make this subjective, but I don't really see Acts as too different because it is a narrative mm-hmm. and it does follow the gospels. I think that's why it's placed where it is. And then so all you have is narratives. And then you have pretty much letters. Mm-hmm. Okay. But where do you see with anybody who's apostolic or anybody mm-hmm. associated with apostolic or mm-hmm. like literature, the apostles themselves, like 
going on to apocalyptic yeah. literature. And it's like, of course, John is going to fit with the rest of the Bible because it borrowed so heavily. Yeah. Like you said, so it's like, it's just kind of repeating, but maybe giving like, um, I guess at least at its time, a reason for what those things meant. So do you have a problem with the canonicity of Revelation? I have a problem that there was a problem with the canonicity of Revelation. You have a problem with the fact that there was a problem with yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, like, I, like I, I mean, this is another conversation to do with canon. I'm not necessarily trying to go mm -hmm. there, but it's like, because I don't think when it comes to, es to eschatology that it obviously has to be just Revelation. I think people just draw to Revelation, yeah. but there's plenty outside of Revelation that talk about end times things mm -hmm. and even obviously go back to the old testament i mean daniel's kind of trippy you know yeah. um maybe ezekiel and you talk about temple stuff mm -hmm. that's kind of trippy and, and isaiah definitely there's like a ton of stuff and it's like uh you don't necessarily need to go to revelation but it's like mm -hmm. um revelation is a lot of borrowing from the old testament but it has its own unique things which right. is jesus appeared to me this is what jesus said to these churches mm -hmm. and then and then it's like, uh, you know, a lot of these um, illusions borrowed from the Old Testament, but then also new things, mm -hmm. you know, th things that are kind of different, like the 144,000 mm -hmm. mentioned, right? And it's like, um, I guess uh, it's, that's just to me so different than mm -hmm. anything you're going to read in the New Testament. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to me when someone just comes across it to question it, because I think one of the first things people thought it was from uh Montanus? Montanus. Montanus? Montanus. Okay. Um, You're saying the Montanists? Yeah. Okay, there yeah. were some people who actually believe this was a Montanus book because mm -hmm. the Montanists adopted it really quickly mm -hmm. just for, uh, so everybody's on the same page. I think they were really big on like prophecy, crazy, prophecy and yeah. crazy signs and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Kind of yeah. pretty much charismatic. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like third century Pentecostals. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to just say charismatic because I know that I could, there's yeah. different layers yeah. of this there, but you know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. like, so that's why there was a lot of suspicion around the book. And it's like, but if this book was supposed to be as impactful as it was, um, why was there even a question? Mm. And I think that's really just a question I have about a lot of canon. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why are people, like, shouldn't these books have been going around already? Mm -hmm. But they seem to have been <laughs> kind of locally going around, not, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, that makes things difficult. But like, that to me is what, makes me a little uncomfortable mm -hmm. focusing too often on revelation because like this book is so different mm -hmm. and it's like the warning at the end of the book is what really scares me to even yeah right because you don't want uh any of that yeah but uh, then you have the blessing at the beginning of the book is and it's and yeah. really just like bless is the one who reads it right you just read the thing <laughs> yeah and um but like it it brings up questions mm -hmm. um it, within the work itself not just the canonicity mm -hmm. At the end of Revelation, mm -hmm. it says, don't seal this up. Mm -hmm. The time is coming. Basically, it's going to happen soon. Yeah. You have, but you have a Daniel where they say, where the angel says to Daniel, seal up this Revelation because this is not going to happen for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, this I'm just borrowing think, heavily. Yeah, from, those, those are definitely tied to each other saying now yeah. it has. Yeah. Yeah. So not yet, now is. And, right. And that fits with the Preterive view. Right. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Like, They're saying, hey, but this happened now. This happened in there now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd uh, agree with that. I'm I'm more I find myself more and more in agreement with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who's the beast? Antiochus Epiphanes. Or uh Henry Kissinger. Like the, <laughs> like the beast? Like Satan? 
No, not Satan. Obviously, we know who Satan is. But the beast. That Lots of people. You think it's a multi... Like, it's just um, a general thing? Are, you're, that... saying, you're saying the beast out of the sea? The one with seven heads? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think that right. there's there's actually a pretty interesting... Yeah, the one out of the sea is the seven-headed one. Um, I believe so. The... Uh, I, I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made to just say that that's Rome because at the time of Revelation's writing, there had been seven emperors. Yeah. Going back to Caesar, Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. So it would be like, you know, if we were on our, if we're on our, what, we're on our 46th president and it's like, you know, you write a book and it's got this, these apocalyptic pictures and it's like this beast with 46 heads. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I think I know what that means. Mm-hmm. Right, the problem that I had, so like I thought like, yeah, Rome would work, or some people think it's actually um, Israel, mm. like the, the the Pharisee, yeah. mm -hmm. and how they've uh, mm -hmm. kind of become harlots. But, not the uh, Dispies, they don't believe that. Be more, huh? I think they'd be more not the dispensationalists. Oh, yeah. Is that they're, they're the beasts and the judgment is the destruction of the temple. Right, so that would be very pretty. And they have an earlier yeah. date for yeah. uh, Revelation. But I think my problem with seeing like the beast as Rome is when you have Christ come against the beast, it's such an utter destruction. Mm -hmm. But if we look at, honestly, what happened in Rome, there wasn't this utter destruction. Mm -hmm. Like the city, maybe. Was this what we were talking about yesterday? Leaves you taste did Rome... Did Rome ever fall? Yeah, did Rome ever yeah. fall? Right, and it's like, that's actually like a good question because uh, Rome got actually recaptured by, wasn't it Justin or Justinius? Yeah, Belisarius was the general under yeah. Justinian, which is... Dude, that's such a freaking cool story. They, there needs to be a Netflix miniseries about the life of Justinian. Pitch okay. it. Like, You'd probably get money to do it. Oh, man. Well, like I couldn't David. direct it David or write it or act yeah. in it or produce it. You'll be an or... extra. <laughs> I'll be an extra. <laughs> Look, looking for $45,000 <laughs> just for episode one, mm. you know. Hey, that's great. Uh, no, anyway. Anyway, you were saying about that? Yeah, because... Um, I, because I... Rome was recaptured? Well, it's not just that Rome was recaptured. It, it got sacked multiple times. Mm -hmm. Not everybody just got slaughtered, mm -hmm. not even the pagans. I mean, you have um, Augustine talking mm -hmm. about that. Like, you pagans want to complain about those Christians, but yeah. when you guys hid in our, our places of worship, you guys were saved. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and it's like, Rome never really fell in the picture that's being painted. Not in this the severe way that they're... Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you could say, well, it's just kind of metaphor. But it, uh, to me, that... I, I... So I first heard that argument about, like, did Rome ever fall? Or, you know, you, you have the Eastern mm -hmm. Roman Empire that they still thought of themselves as... I first heard that when I was 21. And I remember thinking, like, okay, that this this is really interesting. I think I now find myself solidly in the camp of Rome fell. Like, Rome really did stink and fall. And, you know, it, it's... It depends on what you... I think it depends on it what you're It is still culturally about, significant. Which Rome you're talking Romance about. languages are still a thing, you know, that are... That well, dominate... Yeah. It's, it's, it's not um, that, but, like... The ideas of Rome persist. But pagan Rome wasn't necessarily sacked. Because Rome wasn't this 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 pagan force. But at the would time, you say that like pagan Rome was sacked by Christianity? No. No? No, there's no sacking. I mean it's not because I'm talking about physically. Like yeah. I don't even understand like a figurative sacking and it's like that in was... a stars falling from the heavens, like yeah, the, well, the I'm talking about blood, blood in the field mm -hmm. yeah. to the hill, and I know, like, hey, that doesn't mean literally yeah. whatever, but it just means like 
like Jesus just massacred mm-hmm. his enemies. And it's like, you know that that's not what happened with Rome. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still paganism influence for a while. Mm-hmm. But there was like a mesh of Christianity. It was like Christianity was slowly taken over. That's why. I and mean, so like here Christianity starts taking over Rome. And that's when the pagans, who are, I guess, the ones that God led against, if that's their judgment, even though the way that Revelation yeah. describes it is saints. His mm-hmm. saints are with him doing it. It just doesn't fit. That's why I feel like I push back on any very, very extremely specific to one right. nation state as being the fulfillment of any of these. Because you go through the Old, the, the Old Testament and you have Babylon yeah. as this, not a, a, not a city, but this type of the worldly empire that's against God and that is led by Satan. Yeah. And you have the Tower of Babylon, then you have Egypt, then you have Babylon itself again, then you have, you have Assyria, um, you have the Canaanite nation, like all of these things that are representing the one city of city of the against god i think is what i would mm-hmm. best call it mm-hmm. that through line and rome becomes part of that and then you have babylon again so it's all this talking about the same city that will be destroyed in the end and these there's these little cities along the way rome be figuring part of that um america russia uh, holy roman empire like all of Ever, these all the whole world that's you're saying not america yeah. is oh, part of this yeah oh, how dare you everything that is every every <laughs> kingdom that is not led by jesus do you support the troops yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I support uh, them in that I want them to be. But yeah, safe. so that's that's the, I think that's what I think is so significant of like what what are you looking? Are you looking for a very myopic fulfillment of this prophecy? Are you looking at a macro? Because what I see is I go back to Obadiah and I hear it said, "This one tiny nation, Edom, I'm going." God says, "I'm going to judge you and destroy you." And as it's been done to you, so every nation mm. will suffer judgment. And so that's what I see uh, John talking about in Revelation. All of the Romans, all of the Babylons, all of the Edoms are now suffering judgment. Just as these little fallings, these little sackings along the way prefigure that, now it's come to the ultimate day of the Lord when all of the nations eat it. But you can afford... <laughs> that's funny. You can afford to not be myopic mm-hmm. because you're an amillennialist. Yeah, and I'm so, post so, so I have to be my no. I I do think that there is a distinction. You, you can correct me if I'm wrong. If you guys have heard mm-hmm. this before, uh, I'm still kind of fresh to uh, like my understanding of the view. But I do think that there is a distinction between like what is it? Once you get to Romans or not Romans, Revelation, uh, like is it 19 and beyond? Hmm. To say that the things in 19 and beyond are talking about actual end of end of the world you know when when the Mm -hmm. kingdom has been set up and christ actually comes Mm -hmm. back um in a way that like you know romans 13 romans gosh revelation 13 is talking about rome you know Mm -hmm. uh, revelation 13 when it talks about the seven-headed beast it is talking about rome Mm -hmm. and you know the seven empires but then later that gets kind of reappropriated mm-hmm. as this generalized Babylon, mm-hmm. the city of those who are against God. You mean like it gets reappropriated in the later chapter? Yeah, in like chapter 19, let's say. Well, so the, the, yeah. di- the difficulty mm-hmm. of it all is like I can see why there is like, yeah, there seems to be some, you know. Par- but I don't know that. So Right. Well, I was going to say is like there seems to be parallels mm-hmm. to what's going on in the day of the writing. Right? Uh-huh. That you're like, it seems like it's on purpose. Yeah. But, like, like, but then when you look at it historically and see how things played out, it's like, none of this is really playing out like you're saying it's playing out. Mm-hmm. So then to, to be kind of zooming out and, yeah. and I think is the biblical message where mm-hmm. you always had 
God's people, mm-hmm. the seed of the woman, mm-hmm. and the seed mm-hmm. of the serpent kind of thing. And it's like, I think that's true no matter what Revelation is talking about. Mm-hmm. So I, I would agree. But it's like, that that's why the, the questions are being raised by people in different positions of like, if it's not meant to be like specific, why is it written in such a specific way? Why are people being told mm. in Judah, head for the hills once you see the abomination of desolation, let the mm. reader understand? Mm-hmm. Well, is the reader really supposed to understand or mm-hmm. not? Well, well, I think that one might actually be pointing to the destruction in 70 AD. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's the thing that gets confusing. Like, uh, I think there's a lot of events. That You're saying right. in the Olivet Discourse? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. I, I do definitely think that, especially when you have Christ literally saying, there are people listening to me saying this right now who are not going to die until after they see this happening. Yeah. yeah. Like that, I, that dispensationalists have a, yeah. Yeah. Sun Sun coming. Coming, coming in, in, in power. power. Reigning yeah. in power. Right. And which dispensationalists would you say have, happens when? When he sits down on the throne and reigns in the at ascension. The, at the end yeah. of, uh, or the beginning of Acts, right? Yeah. That's what I would say. Because that's like, I, I think Chris Lent is the first one who explained this to us, where it's like the coming of the Son of Man in the book of Daniel. He's not coming like, from heaven to earth like nope. oh he's coming toward us he's coming before the ancient of days yeah mm-hmm. he's actually like he, coming from yeah. earth to yeah mm-hmm. and it's like man that makes so much sense yeah. it's exactly what Acts is talking about and I was like this yeah. isn't weird this is and that's, exactly what happens and that's what I want no matter what your view is I want to see uh, the unity connect because I do believe without a doubt that the Bible is a unified document like it it is amazingly uh, which would make sense because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it's, it's talking about one thing so I want to see I want to see how it all connects my problem with dispensationalists is that none of it connects to the rest of scripture it all is like disjointed Stop. now we're talking about all the new stuff God's okay. doing and I want to see how uh, it all fits the through line I do think that a dispensationalist would definitely not think that hmm. and they would say dude no my system has a continuity to it that I see as lacking in yours, hmm. and I think really what do they a lot see of because con- literally the view is known as discontinuity. Well, but the idea is is that the different dispensations are are the meta narrative. Oh, gotcha! I see what you're saying. And and so yeah, it's God, like the God's unity is the disunity of the well, dispensation. Well, I I don't know if you're saying that like tongue in cheek to say a it little that bit. way. I th- I think it's like okay. God has this this dispensation, this dispensation, and he kind of it's different economies he of weaves grace. Them together. You know, he kind of he he kind of weaves them together. But it's like okay, he this is how he related to people. You know, between Adam and Abraham, and this is how he related to his mm-hmm. people between Abraham and Moses, and then from Moses to David, and then David to Christ, and you know, just mm-hmm. keep going. Okay, and then they would say, "You're telling me that it's all one covenant, and that it's all like." Well, I don't know if you would say one or two, but let's say in the in yeah, I'm not let's just say one. Yeah, but it, that it's one covenant and it's getting appropriated all these different wacky ways. Like they would probably mm. push back and say that. I see because they're seeing like all the different little elements. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think my my problem is that uh, if you don't see that there's one through line of 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 uh, the kingdom uh, against God and the kingdom of God, um, throughout all of Scripture then you risk the view of saying that this one little thing, like why why is it focused on Rome, that, that uh, um, ancient China is still existing? Yeah. And they're, and God is watching over them and is Lord over them. He says that in Scripture many times. Mm. So why is it why is he only focused on Rome can at, I, at that time? Can I say something? Yeah. So I know the Preterist would say this, that when, when it's talking about the world, mm-hmm. it's the known world, which would have been the Roman world. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that China existed. But God did. 
and God's the one who I, look, it. Look, yeah. I, I agree that... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Did, I know did Rome but not know that China existed by that point? Because Not the Jewish writers who are just became kind of literate and whatnot. Like, not everybody knew... Know, they they just became trade. literate? I was going to say, that, that was my thing I was going to bring up, is you have the Silk Road. And there are Romans wearing silk by the time of Christ. Yeah, but, they, but so, they wouldn't know, like, China. Yeah, they wouldn't know necessarily what that empire was like. Yeah. But they would yeah. know there is an empire over there, yeah. and they're making silk. But the world, and I think this is... I'm, not, I'm not arguing yeah. that that's not what a preterist would say. It, yeah. It makes sense. But what, yeah. what I think, what makes sense to me is that the world, when they talk about the world, a lot of times just meant the Roman world. So is Everything God else... the God of China and India and, you know... The I, Maori in New Zealand, and I mean, I would, I would, I mean, there's things that I would argue, but mm-hmm. um, for them, it's like when Paul talks about that the gospel has been preached through the corners of the world. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is like not in China, not in you know Zanzibar. It's I don't know if that country still exists. I hope mm-hmm. so. I, I don't think it does. Okay, as a country, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I, I guess mm-hmm. all my geography is from the same reason, but uh, <laughs> so. You know, not in these areas, but mm-hmm. that what Paul was talking about was the Roman world. Because all roads li- go from Rome. Yeah. So when you meet, reach Rome, you've got access to the rest of the world. In a, in a sense, but like, that's what... To the rest of the Roman world. When, when Paul says world, I mean, he the, means... The traditions that Philip went to India. Yeah. They hold that the that the Indian church was planted by Philip. And there's actually a lot of good reasons to say... Is it, it goes, Philip or Thomas? Philip. I it thought it was back, Thomas. And it does go back. Like, you can trace Christianity back in India very close. To I'm going to say two of us say it was Thomas, so we win. I know it's Philip, so... You know. Yeah, I... You know. I've... I've yeah. Yes. You know? It was well, my, it was, you can take your like My missions class knowledge. project was on, like, the... Like, my church missions project... For church history missions project that I did was on the church in India. But we both, the two of us say it was Thomas, and two is more than one. It might be so, Thomas. Dude, it was and everything is established on a witness. I'm pretty of two sure. I'm more. making a good point. I'm pretty here. sure it's <laughs> Philip, but now the more you say Thomas, I'm like, it might be Thomas. I don't really know. It's very legendary, and who knows? If only so, this were Googleable. <laughs> well, so again, the the argument isn't so much that, I mean, there's several arguments, but like one of the arguments I think it's more verifiable is the idea that when they're talking about the world to their audience, they're talking about. The Roman, Roman word. word, yeah. So when he's talking about preaching, he didn't preach the God. He says it, I think, in Colossians, mm-hmm. that the gospel has been preached to the corners of the world. Mm-hmm. No, it hasn't. Like, in the way that we think of the world. Mm-hmm. In the way that they think of the world, the world would make sense there. So there's a lot of local... And yeah. way, the way that, that makes sense to them is like, yeah, when you see that uh, Jesus talked about the tribes of the world mm-hmm. mourning, the world mm-hmm. is the Roman. It's not here. And so, like, that's why this stuff has already happened and not... We're waiting for I see them. that's so, what they're going to go That's for. the whole argument. Yeah. Which is like, it's kind of compelling. Makes sense. But again, I never was completely um, mm-hmm. convinced of Preterism. I do think it's still a really interesting question that you have to wrestle with, which is like, okay, I, even me saying Rome did fall. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's, it's arguable whether it fell. Mm-hmm. And it never fell in the, you know, apocalyptic type mm-hmm. of way. Right. You know, it, it didn't fall like Babylon fell, where the Assyrian or no, the Persians, you know, mm-hmm. they just they mm-hmm. dam up the river. Mm-hmm. They go under the gate and it's like, all right, yesterday you guys were Babylon tomorrow or today you belong to Persia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't fall in like a 
uh, an Israel type of way, mm -hmm. even where it's like, okay, it, it happens in waves. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even by the time the first wave comes, they know that they've been dominated. They know that they've mm -hmm. been defeated. Uh, it didn't fall in a way like those, but it fell. And it's like, okay, well, is it necessary to conclude that the type of writing that's going on, it had mm -hmm. to fall in a dramatic, like, Mm -hmm. either all at once or a few different waves mm -hmm. um is it okay to say that rome fizzled out mm. over time mm. and i think that's a legitimate question that mm -hmm. i'd love to ask doug wilson. doug wilson i think i think an, uh, a good question for like the the biblical study of the book of revelation is is the main concern about revelation this question because yeah. i would say no yeah yeah um it's more about the systems that are behind instead of like the specific falls of historical nations it's more about the fall of the oppressive systems that are led by satan does that make sense which is why i tend to go to a, to a more omel of what is the point and what is what is the nature of the book of revelation and it's the unveiling yeah um which is what revelation the like the word revelation means is to uncover. wow so <laughs> whoa blow my mind here like to reveal apocalypse is to yeah. reveal yeah to uncover. which did i i actually just learned this recently is related to the word eclipse oh that makes sense so apocalypse and then e and then eclipse yeah, is like, like to cover and then to, to apocalypse from, from cover. The, to, so from cover to now being revelation yeah. so and it's the revelation makes, of jesus so the point of this isn't yeah, to uh, obfuscate him yeah, so the point of, so the point of, the point of the book isn't uh, what happens in history and what uh, and the evil empires the point is Christ and his victory mm. quick uh, question um, do you think that their being in Israel is just purely coincidental I don't think anything's coincidental because of my view of Providence no right but I but, hope that you knew that was coming that little yeah, sarcastic okay. comment was coming but what I mean is uh, as you far think as it's the, significant as into like, the, the eschatology as far as like the eschatology of of uh, Revelation, no, not, like, not a specific book, but just the biblical eschatology. Biblical like the the nation of Israel as it stands right now, I don't see it tying in in any way to Scripture. Really? Yeah. So because because they're not the same people group, it's barely the same language, and it has nothing to do with the land promises. I and I gotta say, like I just taught about the formation of national national Israel in the Cold War or post-World War II in my history class, and, like, I feel like my students were so disappointed in me that that's also kind of the view that I take. I'm a, look, my loyalty is to mm -hmm. people who have faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't, like, their ethnicity of being Jewish is not mm -hmm. a point for them. Mm -hmm. I, I, so I don't think that, okay, so this is a little complicated. I don't think, like, um, Jews, just being Jews. Mm -hmm. Make them God's yeah. people. Yeah, Make yeah. them God's people, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say they're God's people, but I think it plays a part in what Romans 13 talks about. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. And and I can't, I've heard the arguments where it's like, oh no, that's um, a spiritual Israel. And I'm like, hmm. Israel has to change meanings. Romans within, 13? Yeah, Romans 13. Romans 11. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyways, but there's, there's like, there is a part where it's like, for for you to believe you're it, saying the olive tree yeah right yeah uh but but it says when he says all israel must be saved right he talks so like the way mm -hmm. that the people who think is just spiritual israel mm -hmm. um it's like within a couple of words israel changes changes meaning from physical yeah. to spiritual i'm like no mm -hmm. one i don't think that's possible for do you, anyone do to you understand not think, a letter do you not think that know, that I'm happens in romans 9 
when he's like, look, not all Israel is Israel. Yeah, and he, he explains it. Yeah. But he doesn't, so when he goes... Yeah, he doesn't trigger you to change your... Yeah. Okay. In Romans, think... in Romans 11, he talks about God's people who were always foreknown were saved, right? So he didn't reject Israel. Yeah. But then he talks about Israel and Gentiles. See, there's the physical yeah. part. And, and so he goes from that to then saying, all, this is supposed to happen because all Israel will be saved. And it's like, but he's talking about spiritual Israel. And it's like, but, I mean, they just... The way you have to try to understand that mm-hmm. to get to that point, like it makes I, it complicated, dude. It's, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting a revelation from God. The olive tree. All of them. Get it? God is so punny. That's it's funny. so great <laughs> that the Bible was written in English. You would not have been able to pull that off in any That's other language. That is a tough. That is a tough section in Romans. I don't think it's. I don't even think it's it's I don't even think that it's that weird for Paul to do stuff like that. I, in Romans, he talks about you know by the law, but apart from the law, and he's talking about two different laws in one sentence, mm-hmm. yeah. and he switches and he doesn't give you a, like there's no other clues to switching other than just context. So I could see him saying, um, so I want all you know I want the gospel to go you know I, I I would wish that all of the gospel go to ethnic Israel, but the spiritual Israel, and so by that all or and so the, the, the natural Israel and all. Spiritual is really safe. I don't see that as a problem. I see it as a problem in the fact that it's really confusing, but I don't see it out of the nature of how Paul writes. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it impossible for us to understand either. Um, because he is talking about, all throughout Romans, he's talking about what is the true people of God. Um, and it's not who, and it's not just because of this, and not just because of that. It's because of faith, and that's where he's going with, with through that. that um, and then not all who are Israel are Israel, but the people of God had the Gentiles grafted into one people of God, because it's always one people of God moving forward, and then you have all of the people of God in the end being saved, because God lets no one through. So, to me, there's a through line in the entire book of Romans. you got to go start to finish. Yeah, but there's a speed bump that mm-hmm. you skipped over when he's talking about the olive tree and how, like, branches were knocked off for Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? Not just people of faith, but now he's, he's saying yeah. Gentiles. And then he says, you guys can get knocked off as well, mm-hmm. and he can graft in physical... How much- how much more easier would it be to graft in the yeah. natural branches? Which I think is true. I think it, it, I think there, um, I think there's a lot of good reasons to say that maybe in the end, like towards the very very end, a major grafting of a lot of Jewish people will come back in. Yeah, and there there are a lot of millennials that do believe that at the very very end. It's a best Greg Gleason. That there will be this just, to, and all and not because of any like. Uh, logic or anything like that just for god's glory like look how many people i'm just saving i'm being so gracious to bring them back in and how naturally they would flow back in um but it's still it's it's still the spiritual people of god throughout yeah it's not gonna just choose to have no faith yeah because i think you almost you almost see that in the old testament as well that there's not one people of god there's israel and then the people within israel that are the faithful yeah you always have this faithful remnant Which of god paul talks about yeah in yeah 11 and to me i and that's why i say when people are like well when did the you know like when does this switch over if people of god israel a lot i mean like i never switched it's always the same but just more people got added into it mazel tov i mean this is something that i've we've also talked about like with our bible class and so i was able to bring it up mm-hmm. the, i was able to attach the bible lesson to the history lesson teaching mm-hmm. about israel is like okay we just recently in our bible class talked about mm-hmm. the rebellion of korah mm-hmm and so you have a ethnically Jewish person who is apparently not one of the people of God. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we haven't recently talked about it, but most people are familiar with, like, the story of Ruth. Mm-hmm. And she's not ethnically Jewish, but mm-hmm. she 
does become one of the people of God, mm-hmm. and the common denominator is faith. Mm-hmm. Like Cora does not exhibit faith, and Ruth says to her Jewish mother-in-law Naomi, or Mara, mm-hmm. uh, that like you know your God is my God. Mm-hmm. So there's there's faith there, um, and you can say, and I think rightfully so, that there was never a time when just being a physical descendant of Abraham automatically made you one of the people of God, you know, mm-hmm. see, for example, Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's the way it's used in the Old Testament as well, or in, mm-hmm. in the New Testament as well, in the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm. But um, you do definitely have this time where the people of God go from being majority uh, Abraham's people, you know, descendants mm-hmm. of Abraham, to majority uh, of the Jews wind up rejecting mm-hmm. Christ. And I'm not saying that that's in Christ's ministry or, you know, because, you know, um, Paul winds up going around from synagogue to synagogue and he does have mm-hmm. several of the Jewish people um, that wind up believing. So I don't know at what point that majority winds up flipping. I feel like it's got to be within the first couple centuries mm-hmm. AD. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the story right before the crucifixion of Jesus where the Greeks come after uh, and, like, they're seeking Jesus and the Pharisees are like, look, this guy can't be the Messiah. Like, yeah, even the world, the whole world is coming yeah. after him. Um, and the Messiah is supposed to be our Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely, I mean, we were talking about this the other day, the, is it that the majority of ethnically Jewish people are atheistic in their religion? Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just those who live in Israel right now. I don't know about around the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sure seems that way. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, I would say that it's not like the majority of Gentiles are mm-hmm. Christians, but Christianity seems to be a vastly majority Gentile mm-hmm. uh, family, mm-hmm. let's say. So at some point, a switch winds up being made um, just for the majority. But I agree that it's like it's never just your lineage mm-hmm. that makes you a person of God. And I think that's what mm-hmm. Paul is saying in Romans you know, 9, what, mm-hmm. 2 through 5 is all that mm-hmm. so i missed it i missed the pushback yeah because well i, I, I maybe saying. not pushback but just uh like contextualization yeah because there does seem to be a i don't want to say a turning away um but i mean that's kind of what paul calls it he's mm-hmm. like look from now on we're going to the gentiles yeah and it's like god has i won't say turned his back on them but they've sure turned their backs on him. Mm -hmm. And I don't find any reason to feel obligated to say that one day there's going to be this big old revival and a bunch of Jewish people are going to come back to to Christ. I don't think, I don't think that that's Mm -hmm. a necessary inference from Mm -hmm. Romans 10, 11, 10 and 11. But I will say that I've almost certainly given that a lot less thought than Mm -hmm. many people who do hold that view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think my, my thing is, I want to make sure, to, uh, in my in my opinion, in my view, I want to make sure that it comes across very clear that there is always only one people of God. There are never two families. Of God. Yeah, and that's why I think and the it's those who in, are in faith. The grafting in is so great is that yeah, we are like the Christian Christianity is majority Gentile, but our our source and our birth is out of um, the people of um, Israel yeah. because that's where the law was given. That's where the scriptures were given. That's where the apostles were. Um, they were Jewish. Yeah. Like that's. That's the other way to describe it. That's the that's the vessel God chose. Yeah. Not just it's not that you go to them and you get blessing, but God uses them to push blessing through. Yeah. Abraham was to be a vessel of blessing towards the nations. Yeah. And so from Abraham, 
there's this this family of faith that goes all throughout that it's not all israel it's only the people who are the family of faith that people of god family of faith faithful remnant spiritualers or whatever you want to call it goes through and it's always that yeah. one people of god because the big thing that i i push back against against uh dispensational thought is the idea that there are two peoples of god um which is something that i was taught as uh growing up is that there are two people of god the jewish people are god's people and then the Christ christians are another type of god's people the new covenants yeah. for israel and then christians get something else it's like God is the a gen polygamist. Gentiles get, yeah, basically, yeah. that we don't... We're Which not... I like what I... I mean, I don't agree with it. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, but they would say that the Sermon on the Mount... Not that I like... They would say that the Sermon on the Mount is, a, is, is something that we can benefit from as Gentiles, but it's not for us. Yeah. It is for the new covenant members, which are only Israel, and we have a, a different covenant that God put for us. I think it was interesting what you had said pretty much as soon as... Or not long after you had come over, where it's like there are those who believe that those who are ethnically Jewish and believers in Christ are doubly blessed. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, then what about those who are ethnically Jewish but reject Christ? Are they still singly oh, blessed? Singular. And then you said, well, they're doubly damned. And I'm like, yeah. man, that's that's intense. And that, you know, kind of can be derived from Paul's, you know, Romans two. of what use are, you know, of what use is being a Jewish person. He's like, well, of much use in every way because our the oracles mm -hmm. came to us, you know, the, the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. So, I think um, going back to Romans 11, another thing to, to take into consideration is what Paul says about that the Jews are beloved because of election. Mm -hmm. And that's it's, the ethnic Jews you're saying? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Why does he say Israel? Because I might go back again to the people of God are the beloved. Well, because he well, why why would he then sentence to hell people he calls beloved? Uh. Or elect. Right. Well, it, it, so it's the thinking of like within the church, mm -hmm. within the people of God, there is no such thing as a Jew or Gentile. Mm -hmm. That's right. Outside of it, there is such a thing as Jew and Gentile. And he's mm -hmm. saying that these Jews that will eventually be elected to be brought in. And this goes back to him saying that all Israel one day will be saved. Mm -hmm. So I guess this idea of a mass Mm -hmm. election mm -hmm. or manifestation of this election mm -hmm. happening and why because of the forefathers the promises made to the forefathers mm -hmm. and um the reason i don't think that's um i mean you could say that's a spiritual israel mm -hmm. because they're a faith but he's talking about what ethnicity he's he's electing out of which would be physical israel mm -hmm. in a sense and this again within the proximity of saying that he says he's bound all to disobedience Mm. It obviously wouldn't be so spiritual together, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that he could have mercy on it, which is yeah, really that's crazy. true. I mean, I'm not saying that I completely understand the because I mean that's, that's I don't a, it's, a, it's a difficult well, passage, yeah. but I think it, I think that, that that's the th that's the tough bit to to wrestle with is the if you're saying that all of ethnic Israel is the elect of God, then why did almost the entirety of the Exodus generation that saw God part the sea go to hell? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's a hard passage to wrestle with in Hebrew where it says that I said to them, you will not enter my rest because of mm. your unfaithfulness. So it's like, well, if they're elect, then why, you know, mm. and they're beloved, so why, do, why does this happen? Um, and so that's why I tend to, I'm not solid on myself. I'm still in, in theology in progress, we but I tend are. to like, but I tend to like to think of it as um, instead of spiritual or faithful Israel. Right. And yeah. God makes a distinction between that. He's always, Absolutely. he's, and I think he was, he would, he, he chooses and elects the nation of Israel for his purposes. But when he's talking about like the true election, it's to faithful Israel within yeah. 
Israel. It's just like making a bunch of physical Israelites into the faithful mm -hmm. Israelites. And I don't know, I think it's tied into this where another mysterious saying where, where, where mm -hmm. I think it twice in the New Testament talks about the time of the Gentiles. Well, what the heck is that? Mm -hmm. You know, but anyway, I, I mean, I, I'd say that that is probably from Christ forward. And mm -hmm. this actually has this argument has tied in with uh, or the study of what you guys are talking about has also found its way into my study of like why I don't believe in infant baptism. Mm -hmm. And I remember like growing up and it was like, okay, they're the Christians who believe in believers baptism only. And then they're the Catholics and they believe that baptism mm -hmm. is a work uh, that, you know, you impart to your children and it somehow confers grace to them and it contributes toward their salvation. And that was the only type of infant baptismal doctrine that I knew how mm -hmm. to argue against until I was in college. And then I think it was a Presbyterian wound up saying, well, like, because I would say, well, isn't it that, you know, they become God's people when they demonstrate faith? And then they said the thing about, well, what about circumcision? Wasn't mm -hmm. circumcision the sign of the covenant? And they didn't wait until they were old enough to, you know, declare mm -hmm. faith. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a good point. And so I had to go back and read and read. And then I became reformed. So I'm like, dang, I'm probably going to wind up flipping on this issue. Mm -hmm. But then I wound up staying in the credo baptism only mm -hmm. camp. Uh, because I believe that what God was doing in the Old Testament and what he's doing in the New Testament people of God are fundamentally different. Because in the Old Testament, okay, sure, you have a Moabitess, Ruth, and you have Rahab, mm -hmm. and you have, you know, the Egyptians that wind up leading and mm -hmm. all that. But it's mostly a ethnic political kingdom of people. Well, why would he need that? Because he's bringing a biological being into the world yes, in the yes. person of Jesus Christ. And now that Christ has come in biology in the flesh, in like the mm -hmm. Jewish ethnic political whatever form of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. political, whatever, political baby. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm not saying there doesn't need to be a political um, people of God because I'm also a burgeoning theonomist. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> but it's like, okay, now, now there's no need for that symbol to be something that sets people apart virtually at birth mm -hmm. the way that you do with citizenship. Mm -hmm. So no, that makes sense. I think my my main pushback too is the how do you know that circumcision connects to baptism? Because where does it say that baptism is the sign of the new covenant? Well, because I would say that heart circumcision is the sign yeah. of the new covenant. Right. Yeah. But they would they would argue well yeah it's just a different circumcision, and that that cir circumcision um, is displayed in the New Testament through baptism. Yes, once you see that that circumcision has happened, right. or, or let's say don't once, preempt, once that that's circumcision thing, that's my, has that's happened. my big argument is the you don't preempt that circumcision with the ceremony. Well, oh, so they would say like that's always been the case though. But you preempt? Uh, yes. Well, because like you have a circumcision that brings you into this covenant community in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. but there was still needing a heart circumcision with even in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So because you're supposed to be the faithful people of God. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's like baptism is what brings you into the coming community, but it's the heart circumcision that makes you an elect person. They differentiate between yeah. coming community, which I'm like, that's... And that's and that's where it breaks down to me, because it's because it, baptism is a response to something. It's not a preemptive. And I think it's I think it's just a, a really something that I really love uh, that God did is just like that. You know what? I'm going to take this out of your guys' hands and I'm just going to do it. So instead of us mm -hmm. being the one that does the covenant sign, Christ does the covenant sign. And the Spirit does the covenant. The Spirit's the one that circumcised. We're no longer responsible to do the covenant signs. We're responsible 
to do the public declaration of someone whose mm. life shows what the spirit's already done. Right. Um, but yeah, the the covenant stuff. I've heard all of that, and, and 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 to me, it makes more sense of the fact that we're talking past each other. When I talk to someone who, who's in yeah. baptism, we're talking about something very, very, very different. But to me, it's like that you have to accept <laughs> you have to accept an entire system to get there. Yeah. Um, you can't just jump from the scriptures to this. You've got to. And that's, I think that's something that I'm pushing against. And sorry for this going, this, this won't be too long, but it's something that I'm uh, chewing on and, and kind of, I'm kind of like naturally resisting right now is there's a lot of uh, Presbyterians and uh, reformed thinkers that are set that, that, and this is something they've said for a long time. So this isn't like new, but is that um, the chief authorities is scripture and every, th- and every necessary consequence that flows from Scripture, those are the authority. Ooh. That it, that any necessary mm. consequence that flows from Scripture is as authoritative as Scripture is the way we, they would say it. And I'm very uncomfortable with that because yeah. Who's that, gonna but that is why they say, necessary. but that is why the infant baptism argument is so strong because they're saying this is a necessary implication that flows from Scripture. And to me, Oof. I'm like, and, and then they're going to say, so, so it is as binding as Scripture itself. And to me, I don't like that because what you're saying is, there are now the, the authorities in this Christian's life. The supreme authority is scripture and human reason. And I so don't like saying now that. you're Aquinas. What's that? Now you're basically Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. You know? Which the guy that I'm reading that said that is a rebirth of Thomas Aquinas. Huh. Like literally that's the way I would describe <clears throat> it. He, he wrote all that is in God. And I read through it. I'm like, this is, and I'm not, I don't knock Aquinas. I'm not saying like Aquinas is like, oh, run from him. He's the, Aquinas was a great theologian. One of the doctors of the church. Um, the doctor of theology like he's a brilliant guy and i don't think we should take his stuff lightly so i'm not saying this in a negative way but in the same sense i'm like kind of saying it in a negative way but like yeah. this uh um dola's all stuff is just thoroughly equine and ec- 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 thomistic theology sorry for the other word thomistic theology Aquilonian. it's full of this aristotle mm. um and uh and i think that that's it's interesting that comes up so like the the classical impassibility of god which i think there's a lot of good in that doctrine but we have to remember that comes from Aquinas and, as a result, Aristotle. Right. Um, have you ever thought about just not being reformed? <laughs> <laughs> like being Catholic? No. Uh, there's a third option, being an Eastern? Anabaptist. Oh. Being That's an Anabaptist? Oh, holla. Yeah. Uh, Anabaptists are weird company. That's how you... Th- I, that, you know who me, else is weird company? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. To me, I'm like, that's probably why they're right. It's because they're so freaking... Well, like, but, like, you are Anabaptist in your idea of baptism. That's true. That's my uh, that's my one thing that I agree with. Uh, I would say, like, that falls under this Semper Reformanda thing. It's like we're always reforming. Yeah. You know, Luther didn't throw away transubstantiation. But then, yeah. you know, later you have people... It's like, mm-hmm. oh, now, we, now we're going to get rid of that. And now we're going to get rid of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the doctrine of the keys because Luther, the, the Lutheran still, the mm-hmm. Lutheran Church still holds to, to the doctrine of the keys. That it's the minister that absolves you of your of your sins. Um, and then it's like, so you know, then you abandon this Catholic doctrine. Then you abandon mm-hmm. this Catholic doctrine. And then you and you know, slowly mm-hmm. you're reforming. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that credo baptism is solely an Anabaptist thing. I think that it's something that you can reform your way towards mm-hmm. through a consistent reading of scripture. Mm-hmm. But can I and, tell a funny story? Oh, and then yeah, like, well, can I interject really yeah, quick, go ahead though? and say any serious and things. The other reason gonna... why I wouldn't, would want to go away from reform is that I'm not an entirely, con- entirely um, concerned with ditching all of Catholicism. I'm, I'm the reformation is reformed Catholic. Yeah. So I don't think that everything that they did and taught 
yeah. throughout the year. I'm a lowercase uh, thousand years is is bad. They believed in the Trinity. I yeah, yeah. and and a lot. Uh, so one of the one of the great sayings about the Reformation is that the Reformation was the best that um, medieval scholasticism of Catholicism had to offer. Huh. That was what the Reformation was. This was the best of what the Church had you know to offer. You know who would disagree? Who? The Pope. Probably. They take him pretty seriously. He's not, but he's not the best of scholastic I mean, theology. We just need to do an episode on, I guess, the Reformation. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of interesting things that we're I'm talking totally about. down for that. Because I was just talking about, anyway, this is the end of my thought. I was like, oh, why I'm like, I'm not like, oh, I'm just going to, anything that's Catholic just is necessarily wrong. I was talking to someone the other day about the, the monastic principles that I do enjoy and, and integrate into my own life. So like, am I, I that person? Stuff. What's that? Am I that person? I don't, I think oh, it was either we talking you or Bentley, light. I think, or something like that. Hmm. Um, that there are certain things where I'm like, I don't like that, but, like, but they that there is a lot of things that these really good, and I think a lot of them very faithful Christian guys, very devoted to Christ, hit on that where it was wise and true. And we don't want to throw throw everything out because a majority of the practices were bad. Like, you know, just because they had idolatry in the sanctuary doesn't mean that liturgy in general is a terrible thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, not, I'm not high church, but I'm pro-liturgy. Uh, so I, I went would walk to, down with incense if I could. I saw my I saw my first infant baptism recently. The person invited me to it, even though they knew that I don't mm-hmm. care about this or like I don't find it valid or of any spiritual significance. So uh, I went and I observed it, and you know it's cool. Um, I I really did feel like almost like I was going to my friend's uh, Catholic christening or whatever. Um, but this is a friend who is a Christian. And later in the day, you know, we kind of hung out with them, and uh, this person was talking about, like, the dangers of social media <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, and they, had, they said something to the effect of, like, it makes me really uncomfortable when people try to take pictures of my daughter, because, like, I don't want you trying to just take pictures of my cute baby and mm-hmm. post them for, like, internet points and everything. And he goes, yeah, like, my, my uh, sister-in-law or someone was, like, trying to take a video of the baptism today, and I just thought that it was really kind of like overstepping boundaries to do something like that since you can't get her consent, her referring to Mm -hmm. his daughter. Mm -hmm. And I said, you mean like baptizing her? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he hit me, you know, playfully. I bet. But uh, yeah, I was like, man, how how (laughs) do you say that sentence? Like, as I was baptizing my baby without her consent, someone was thinking of taking a picture of her <laughs> without her consent mm. so anyway mm-hmm. we'll cap it there but Good uh talk. yeah i'd love to talk about like we could do a whole episode on on the principles of the reformation mm-hmm. and infant baptism things like that mm-hmm. but yeah that's all for now and that's all folks i love you guys love you yeah bye